This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. reap what we sow when we buy cheap set equipment oh yeah always but this is a work in progress because there's a lot of stuff i'm going to update with our little studio here and it's looking uh, sharp (laughs) i yeah it's been it's been nice switching over to this interface and getting this tv mounted so that we have like a big screen it makes snakes and stogies a million times easier because i can actually read what the comments are saying without having to squint (laughs) because i have the eyes of an 80 year old man um, but none of that matters because this is episode 148 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. If you are new here, welcome. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I am Jacob Browns with Longleaf Reptilia. Uh, and before we get into anything, uh, this show is brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Please check them out. Uh, me and Jake love them. Very Speak excited very to get our new stuff from them here in the coming weeks. And um, they're awesome. I love my racks. I I told Jen, I think the cages had a hand in the Jansen and I doing what they did. Mm-hmm. It was like, cause they hold humidity and temps really well. So there, I mean, there was something to it. It wasn't like I was just keeping them in, in, you know, Rubbermaid bins. So I gave her some credit for it too. I was like, this was, this was all, this is a team effort. It was a team effort. I didn't even know it. <laughs> I, I, I bought you the, the Cypress mulch that there. That they're on. I think so. you actually did. I did. No, it's you not. Did. It's not a think. I did. No, you did. I, I know for a out. fact that I did. <laughs> so look at that. Even Jake had a hand. Yeah. Without that You're cypress welcome. mulch, You're I may welcome. not have had eggs in the incubator. Damn right. Probably not. So honestly. Uh, and then so check out blackboxcages.com. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, uh, all that good stuff. Send them a message if you need a cage or a wreck. Uh, and you then won't regret if, it. I promise. If you just happen to want some hot sauce. Oh. Then you need to hit up Steve at Steve Snakeshuary and get some of his venom hot sauce. I think Jeff and Kendra asked us today what the best flavor was and cottonmouth. Yeah, I think cottonmouth, cottonmouth was, was. I think the, our unanimous was the unanimous favorite one. between all of them because they could go on so much. Like there was a lot of a lot of options with cottonmouth. Yeah. Versatile. Yeah. So check him out when you buy these hot sauces. You're helping him with his uh, rehabilitation, rescues, relocations, public outreach. All that good stuff. He's doing he's doing good work. So yeah. if you get his hot sauce, you're helping him out. And it's a cool little souvenir like bottle. So when it's done, you can clean it out and you got a cool little set of south southeastern uh what he is he technically in the southeast? Is that is Louisiana in the southeast or is that the south? Mm. Just like the south, deep south. I think that would just be deep south. Yeah. I don't know. So you get all the right. all the bottles with all the different venomous snakes from the deep south, all different flavors and heat levels and check them out. Um, but this episode, we have the crawdaddy himself, Doctor Zach. Speaking of the deep Lochman, he's uh he's back. While Jake was gone on his his hiatus for a while, we had Zach on at least twice, I think. And so Jake was like, when he came back, you were like the first person he mentioned. He's like, <laughs> I want to do an episode with Zach, and I was like, I will gladly have him on anytime. So like we can give it a little bit though, you know. I don't wanna, yeah, I like to get it get it too soon, you know. Well, yeah. thanks for having me back. I'm I'm glad to be here, and I can actually speak the black box cages too, 
because oh, I have wow. I have their hatchling rack, and then I have the one that holds the CB70s. And uh, you are absolutely correct. Smooth That's a high quality product there. Yeah. They're so so smooth. Yeah, That's, it's like they're they're the bottom of the tubs is coated in like baby oil. Yeah, it's, just <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. Yeah. But the, the there's no there's no like real gap, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have to worry about baby Alterna getting out again. I uh, I'll say I would still close it. Well, yeah, I mean when you're talking about your little, little tiny, tiny Nerodia, Nerodia, but your your little gray bands aren't as are about as small. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, it's also the same know. rack I, got that I lost that first uh, first rhino rat. So, yeah. yeah, the 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 rack that I have for hatchlings right now, not my black box rack. Dude, I actually had a water snake get out of a hefty, like a six quart. You hefty. keep telling me that, and I have a very hard time believing. I'm dude, I'm not lying. This thing got it was a six quart hefty. I don't know if it was just deformed after having it for years, and eventually just formed a gap. But I swear to God, it was Zach. It was one of yours. Yeah, cool. It slipped, out, it slipped <laughs> out of there. I don't know how, but it did. I found it. It's fine. No problem. It was like same day type deal. But yeah, I know. It was wild. Never had a never in my life had a snake out of that. I I found a um a milk snake, eastern milk snake a couple years ago that was gravid. And I thought, what the hell? I'll bring it in and she'll lay the eggs. The eggs will hatch. Mm-hmm. I'll keep them separate from everybody. Right. And then I'll let them go. And I had one of those six quart hefties with the, with the locking lid. Yeah. And yeah, no, uh, I came into my, the area where they were being incubated and there were like little baby milk snakes everywhere. It's like, what the oh, hell God. is going on? So <laughs> no, I've had the same thing. happen. I too found them all and they all went right back out where they were, but, um, Jeez. yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, no, it was funny after I, I spoke, I spoke to Chris Montross about water snakes for a long time. And he told me, he was like, you know, water snakes, they're not really pushers. You know, they're not, they're not bad about getting out. And literally I haven't had a snake get out. I haven't had snakes get out in a very long time. I, I had one slip out while I was moving, but that was a moving error. Well, the cage slipped open. I don't count that as truly escaping. Um, but My female sub pushes more than any other snake that I've really? ever owned. Yeah. I mean, she has like nose rub and it's healed up and stuff, but she's still got that sort of, I won't necessarily say scarring, but. You can definitely tell at one point she was she had rubbed it raw yeah. and she's constantly like her and that that pine snake that I have now they're like they're testing you can see their little nose following <laughs> the gap trying to find that weak spot and see I never would see him do that you know it was never a it was never an issue that like I saw him pushing or anything but it's literally I, I was told water snakes aren't aren't much for getting out and pushers but like literally i've only la- yeah. i've had two two water snakes get out i had, I had one of my punch two wasn't one of my uh another bandit get, got out on me and that was out of the out of the wreck that is the the nice thing about chondros is they don't do that at all no from what i've nice i've kept job. them in all kinds of racks all kinds of tubs they could care less. Like I'll see, I have a couple that are young males and I'll see them, you know, they'll go to that crack in like the Cambro rack I have and I'll, they'll like be flicking their tongue and stuff. So they know that it's there. But as far as like seeing them, like I see the pine snake, like really put some weight into that, that yeah. gap. They don't do it. They just, you know, they're like, Nothing. oh, air hole. So, yeah. But it makes me laugh because I haven't had any escape issues as of late. But then all our friends are like, dude, this got out. Dude, this got out. 
this got out and i laughed i was like i don't even feel bad for you because everyone gave Dude, you so you, much it shit. Do, no it doesn't matter because you hold, you will always hold the record for amount of snakes getting out dude nobody nobody <laughs> even comes close to the amount of snakes that you got get out it was a weird last year. year weird year yeah you can't for all this. of us <laughs> yeah like, i swear this doesn't this has never happened to me and everyone's like yeah right you kept using the same stuff that kept letting shit out. I don't know what to. It was. I don't know what to the, tell you. That rhino rat from Terry was the start of everything. It was like a bad omen. Oh yeah. I put dude. a curse on my my house and room. Yeah, that, that was. But that was at your dad's house. Still, it carries over. Yeah. <laughs> it's still carries. It's like Insidious. It, it just follows you. It's mm-hmm. you're the one that's haunted, not the house. It's mm. the, the Burwell curse. The Burwell curse. <laughs> That's funny. But what's new, man? What's been going on? Yeah, what's going on with you? Um, semester started last week. Uh, promptly got COVID. That was fun. Oh um, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, it seems like the entire world is getting COVID. The chat that we're in, like fifty percent of the chat went down in a forty-eight hour period of time from all over the country. Yeah, I got, um, I got, I got COVID. Uh, yeah, I just got over it. Just see, I had, you know, science. I relied on all three shots, so all I had was a head cold, and I didn't think anything of it until um, at the university here at West Liberty, all the students had to get tested, and uh, some of the kids that are in my lab popped positive, and I knew all that they were vaccinated to the hilt, and I asked them, like, what do you, what symptoms do you have? And they are like, oh, we got head colds. I was like, oh, damn it. Shit. I have a head cold. <laughs> so then I went home and did the, the take-home test. Nothing happened. And then I came back to school and I knew something was up because the only symptom that I got was the the infamous brain fog. But it made me feel like higher than a kite. Oh, jeez! So I, I was sitting here just like, I don't care about anything. I'm going to look at snakes. Everyone gets an A. <laughs> I need to do things, but I just don't want to. And I thought yeah. maybe maybe something's up. So then I went and got a PCR test and sure enough, COVID. But that's out of the way. So that's good. good. But um. It also snowed up here. That storm Izzy showed up, so we've we've been on three hour delays. So this has been a pretty easy week, and uh, I'm using the time to get the book. Oh, the book! Trying to wrap up the book. So the book the 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 book is written, but um, getting the damn pictures. That's what's proving to be a royal. Yeah, you Royal mentioned that when we were talking about it a couple weeks ago, so, and I thought that was yeah. odd because when I was doing the magazine stuff, like that was I, I thought that would be one of the hardest things, you know, dealing with people that are like prima donnas and really stubborn. And I really had no issues there. Like everyone yeah. was very accommodating. You know, obviously I gave them proper credit and stuff like that. And if they wanted me to pay, you know, I'd give them what I could, but <clears throat> I wasn't mm-hmm. about to spend, you know, $80 on stock photos and stuff like that. So Everyone was super helpful and I do my, you know, I did my best to, to make sure that, that if it was like a cover photographer or really any, and I was using their stuff to make sure that I, I got them out there too and tagged them and stuff. And yeah, but the, that was not the hardest part by any means was, was the pictures. Here's the reason why it's, it's difficult. Um, so the, the, the book is the dipsatted book, the one that focuses on South American colubroids that people keep like Baron's racers false water cobras museranas what used to be called lyophis now mm-hmm. they're urethra lampris tricolor hognose snakes um and those are the main chapters and, and getting photographs of those animals is not a problem uh but what 
each chapter has is it's basically 50% biology, ecology, natural history, and then 50% animal husbandry. So for the natural history part, I need to get pictures of these things in the field. And that's proving to be a bit challenging because a lot of, you know, I, I can get those, but then there's one chapter, the introductory chapter. I realize people don't know what the hell a dipsadid is. So I introduce what those are. And there's all these tribes of snakes. And we talk about those. And I know that like the Uber nerds like me are going to love the narrative part. But in reality, you got to write a book and you got to have a picture book all in one. Yeah. And getting the photographs of these like super obscure, crazy little dirt snakes that live in the Amazon that nobody cares about. That's what's that's what's proven to be problematic. And they, they exist. But they're taken by people that are from Brazil that speak Portuguese, which mm -hmm. I do not. So I'm like, basically have to you know do that. But at the same, thank God for Google Translate. So I type out my yeah. message, <laughs> dump it in there, turn it to Portuguese, send it off. And just today, I, I kind of hit an upswing finally and had the time to do it. Because that's the other thing is finding time to do this is, um, that's an issue. But it's, you know, it's a passion project, so I don't mind doing it. But literally, that's what I spent the four hours between me getting done with schoolwork and starting this podcast is just basically pound and flicker trying to get a hold of people. Um, and I've got, you know, starting to get there. So mm -hmm. once I get the photographs, um, it goes to the editing process and I am immediately behind the complete carpet Python. So that book gets published and then they're moving on to a, another book. Uh, Russ Gurley is the guy that's doing this. And then I'm moving my books on the docket. So I have to get this done by March is what it looks like. So how many pages is it? Uh, or as, as it is currently, as it is, well, it's just words right now. And I think like one and a half spacing size, 11 font. It's like 175 pages. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's diesel. Well, as I far as finding like it, finding pictures i usually would just go on instagram and search up the hashtag for that species and then mm -hmm. look for pro quality shots you know that weren't yeah. cell phone pictures and i usually just message that person and be like hey i'm in need of a picture of a herald snake which there's not a lot of really high quality herald snake pictures out there and um no I, there's I've a couple totally species that. that it was like impossible yeah to find but of course instagram there's always at least one and then I'd message yeah. after they had anything else. If like if they had any more, they just hadn't posted that we could use. And like I said, everyone was really cool about it. Yeah, I, I've I've gotten a lot of the husbandry shots that way. A lot of cage pictures, or enclosure pictures, morph pictures. You know, all that stuff's good. I'm just like the genus Attractus, which nobody even knows is a genera unless you've gone to Peru and caught them. They're all about like this big. They're little. <laughs> um, Trying to find those, trying to find pictures of the prey species, obscure mm -hmm. little lizards. Like, that's the part that's problematic. But it, yeah. it, I say problematic, but it's kind of like electronic herping. Like, it's a quest. <laughs> <laughs> Going just, out into the wild very, the internet to find this picture. <laughs> yeah, so I don't mind it. It's just um, when I get the time to, to do it, I need to, like, pounce. That's all. So... In the, but no, um, that's the big thing. And then, of course, everything's brewmating right now. Uh, yeah. So, how's that been going though with the weather? That. With you the got, weather, you got a little break on that front. Being as squirrely as it is, like it, my it, 
my biggest concern with what I have cooling right now is the bimaculata and the Dion. Mm-hmm. Like they've yeah. gotten pretty cold, but they've also had weeks where it warmed back up and then it dropped and then it warmed back up. And then I had to pull them out of the garage because it was getting to freezing or below that, just below it. Put them in my closet, which is about 60, 65, depending on how cold it is outside. And so I was going to pull them back in the garage, but it's supposed to dip down to get really cold over the weekend. Jake was saying it's supposed to be like what in the twenties or something. Yeah, high twenties, supposed to get in the high twenties. I think Saturday. So I can't put them back in the garage. So I may at this point just sort of put them back in the room and bring them back and give them a shot anyways and see if it happens. But yeah, I was concerned between Christmas time and new year's. Cause that's yeah. when that crazy weather hit and, it was like 65 degrees up here where I live. It was almost 80 here. It was like yeah. upper seventies. It was crazy. It was, I was and, wearing shorts and flip-flops. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, this season might be crap. Um, but then as has been the case up here in the mid Atlantic where I live, we usually get a warm spot in December. Everybody's like, Oh no, winter's done, whatever. And then it's like, hold my beer and shows back up again. And that's what <laughs> yeah. we got right now. Our, our lows. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Tomorrow morning. It's supposed to be four here oh my so, god yeah so uh yeah, i have I even fathom that the the infamous corner of my garage that we talk a lot about on colubrid and colubroid radio and uh i i've been checking the govies i have in the corner and the weather forecast and i actually i moved everybody out of the corner and put them in the middle of the garage um because it would probably be about 30 degrees in that corner and i'd have oh, a whole bunch of potentially snakes you know dead snakes so yeah. um but there the, i like brumation i think it's kind of fun there's a strategy to it um it's nerdy. yeah that episode y'all did was great so, yeah you and uh you and matt did oh thank you we're we're proud of that we it's funny we did this nerdy deep dive on all the science and then our next guest was like i don't brumate at all i was like oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> how about that <laughs> so, uh but no um so after doing the, the research for that episode, though, now I totally understand why it's necessary. And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep doing it. But I, I also realized that in the science building I'm sitting in right now, we have a cold room. And I never really checked what the temperature was in the cold room and found out that the cold room stays between 47 and 52 degrees year round. And was like, what in the actual hell? <laughs> so, <laughs> so next year... Um, we got a lot of snakes moving in there. That's where I put the bimaculata that we mm -hmm. got from the University of um, Texas Tyler from Neil Ford. So Dr. Ford's bimax are down there. And then I put, uh, my Oregon red spotted are in there as well because I wanted them to get cold and stay cold. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, hopefully, you know, it was, they got cold enough, long enough to make something happen. But mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not banking on it. But I'm, I'm hopeful. I think maybe they got enough exposure to it, and and I kept them dark and everything too. Um, maybe maybe it'll happen. You know, we'll see. No, I'm 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 contemplating next year, uh, actually doing some like science and looking at some of these species where I got, we have enough of them now with the university. Like we have enough corns. I now have enough king, enough king snakes mm -hmm. where. I want to brumate them the way, like the hard brumation, where you drop them down to 50 and hold them there. And then I want to also do um, what oh, Rob Stone was talking about on Snakes and Stogies this week, where you basically do the diamond python technique, especially with things that live in maybe like Florida or yeah. Carolinas. 
where they get can get warm, but they get cold at night. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually want to look at their blood chemistry and, and look at those hormones we were talking about and see, do, do you get the same effect? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you not get the same effect? Like that's a perfect, plus that's a perfect master's thesis. So, right. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. That's got herpetology and herpeticulture wrapped up in one. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a question that I ask a lot is, and I think we were talking, me and Chris were talking about, you know, he do the ones at least here in my area, like colubrids and snakes in general and the stuff that's further South, you know, do they ever actually, is it ever, do they ever get a true brumation just because of how warm it gets during the day? Yeah. Um, Cause I've seen pictures of, I got a buddy up in Charleston that saw a cotton mouth the other day and it was like 30. Yeah. Eight. Yeah, you know, they, like stuff's out moving i've seen people like just back in november someone saw a really nice eastern diamondback here on ladies island and it was like in the 40s that week yeah so it's like are they really even like are they just just temporary where like at night they just hunker down and then during the day they're like cool it's warm enough for me to operate and, you know it's it's very it's very confusing yeah no. I, I didn't like this stuff until i got back into herpetoculture i was all about ecology natural history but now you know, physiology of animals and human care is something that I find really, really interesting. So, well, it's almost right. like you're 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 melding the two. I am melding the two. The, yeah, the forces are aligning. So, anywho, but but yeah, that's probably going to happen because I've been, I I have not stopped thinking about this stuff. And then Chad came on, like I just said, and was like, "No, I keep the snakes at seventy-eight year round, and I cycle them with." food cycling like you would mm -hmm. a python so that was a good uh, episode too i really enjoyed that one no they're thanks. all great it's one of my favorite podcasts oh yeah is that, it, it is my favorite podcast oh well thanks jake and Zam. we try matt and i <laughs> yeah you guys do great <laughs> man i love it well it's like you matt rob stone you know burke like there's guys that i could just like i don't even have to just put me in the corner and let me listen like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's all i want like you don't even i don't even have to be involved i just want to hear yeah. it, you know it's like I just stand there with a smile on my face yep. like a weirdo. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's like Carpet Fest all over again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, first Carpet Fest where we saw Burke for the first time. It was like, whoa, he's real. He's short. Dude, I yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just, I remember he just like walked up to me. He was like, hey, man, check out this pop win I saw at, uh, saw at the Pet Star up the road. I was like, and I'm looking at him like. Do I know you? What? <laughs> like, you're Eric Burke, dude. Like, don't just talk to me. Don't just talk to me normal. Like, what are you talking about? It's crazy. Yeah, Rob, man, especially so cool, like Snakes and Stogies last week. I'm still still trying to figure out exactly what we talked about because I feel that like was good so episode. much that it was like he gets when he starts getting deep and stuff like that, mm -hmm. like my eyes go crossed and I'm like, what? I feel like I've been put in a trance. Yeah, I, I love the cosmic octopus. Yeah, the best thing on Earth. <laughs> so anywho, octopus. but no, we're definitely yeah. going to do deep dives in the brumation next year. It's it's happening. That's really interesting though. Cause I've never thought about, you know, you know, colubrids from the Carolinas. Cause that's how I've approached breeding carpets is letting temperatures drop at mm -hmm. night or turning hot spots off at night and then turning it back on during the day. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of like the general for carpets usually. And I've never thought about that being, you know, a possibility with, you know, at least Southeastern colubrids, you know, or, you know, Southern, more Southern colubrids that don't see that heavier winter. You know, at no, least that's, all the time. That's but. literally their their cycle. Like exactly, if you get into places like along the Savannah River. Um, yep. Oh yeah. Just the south, or not south? I guess southeast down to 
Beaufort, mm-hmm. like where you guys live. Exactly. Um, you, your late February, March is what that's equal to my April or early May. Right. Uh, last year we, we had a crayfish project in um Sumter National Forest. We're we're back there again this year. And I believe it was the week of March 20th uh, that we were down there for a whole week. And you know, that project's just flipping amazing because my two worlds collide. We're in a yeah. bottomland swamp, which is my favorite habitat. It's loaded with cottonmouths and rhodia. Um, that's my that's my favorite habitat I too. Man. That is uh, my favorite habitat. I period. love it. I love any mm-hmm. just anything swamp, man. Oh yep. man. But but we were looking for the, the burrowing crayfish we were after, and you know, there's a cottonmouth. There's an erodia. The flipping, I think that Alec, Alec, he was with, he's one of my former, well, he's a current grad student. Um, he's now a keeper at St. Louis Zoo for herps. But he was out running around and then like in a matter of an hour, they found like four or five gigantic black rat snakes, like not little guys. Oh my God. But what was crazy is the nighttime lows, the whole week we were down there, we're in the upper 40s mm-hmm. um, to the low 50s. And then it would, it was sunny the week we were there, which was cool. Um, but we'd get on site and it would be about 58 degrees by eight, nine o'clock. And then by noon, it was 75 and there were snakes everywhere. Yep. Yeah. But then we went out at night looking for things and it was, you know, we could see our breath. And I think that's, that's exactly what those Southern animals have. And I got into king snakes big time this year and I got a bunch of Brookside Kings and I was asking everybody like, well, how do you brewmate these things? And they were like, Oh, just drop them down to 50 and hold them. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm doing that because that's what has worked in the past. But at the same time, like it's not dropping to 50 yeah. every night in Palm Bay, Florida. <laughs> right. You're, you know, it, it's not doing when that happens. It makes national news. Uh, if it happens for like four nights, or, or, you know, for a, it's week, a big deal. Yeah. Um, but the Brookside respond that way. So um, if you were to keep them the way you keep a diamond, you're probably going to get just as much success. So, mm-hmm. uh, but no, I, I don't know. I've just really been nerding out on on this stuff and thinking about it a lot. And so, fun. so would you draw? Would you give them the nighttime lows? Are you thinking of going to the nighttime lows of like yeah. fifty to sixty as well? Or because I know some people that like breed carpets. You know, diamonds are you know a little. They are on the yeah. cold, cold, colder side. That's why I'm wondering. So because I know with carpets, people will keep them at normal temperatures at night, but they'll just turn kind of turn the heat off and they'll let their ambience just drop that's, a little that's bit with what the i do with my room regardless so I don't, of time of year so. are you planning on still dropping the night times to 50 to 60 and then bringing everything back up you know during the day or are you going to leave things kind of normal and then just cycle like a hot spots type yeah, what i've been thinking about doing uh and i know well i know i can do it in my current house we're about to move to another house so i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this where we're we're moving but what I'd like to do is just simply give them a drop down to 50 ish is the right way to say it. Yeah. Right. And then let them get up into like the sixties, seventies. And then what I want to do is then pull the blood out and look at those hormone levels. And at the same time, have another set that are doing the hard brumation. Right. And then do a blood draw and look at the hormone levels and see like, what do you need? Cause on one hand, you might think, like I, I was thinking initially, dropping a Brookside down to 50 and keeping it there for months. Like, is this good? Is this bad? That seems a little unnatural. But at the same time, if a lot of breeders are doing that and their snakes are surviving, then obviously they're surviving. But just because they're surviving doesn't mean it's good. 
Like right. you, you've right. got long-term welfare to think about here. So, right. Um, I mean, there, and that goes to like that. I bring that up a lot with, you know, certain things because I feel like as a whole, we lose snakes very early in captivity. And mm -hmm. I think it's things like that, that lead to it. Like, you know, that Brookside, yeah, it may have lived to be 10, 12, but it could have gone to 20, 22. Yeah. You know, and, and before we go any further, I know that Brookside is dead taxonomically, but in the trade, that's what we call them. So that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I, I also know that there's people that aren't, you know, dropping them way down. Mm -hmm, so, right. um, but, the, but, but the million dollar question is, you know, if, if, if some guy in Wisconsin's holding the snakes at 72, 74 all year round, and then we got me in West Virginia dropping them down to 50 and holding them there. And we got somebody else that's doing a night drop. Like that's, those are many different strategies to skin the same cat, mm -hmm. but whether we like it or not, I, I hear a lot of people in herpetoculture say like, well, I mean, this is the way I do it. My snakes live forever. Well, just because your snakes living forever, that doesn't mean that it's living its best life. And I want my animals to live their best life. So right. I would, and we can use science and blood chemistry and, things like that to actually answer that question. And yeah. See, then that's, I'd that's like to answer that question. Facts. Yeah. That, cause that, cause that is factual. It's not just guessing of, Oh, this works yeah. like that is evidence. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and on the same line I have right now, it's actually in the room behind me. Um, so in 1999, I took herpetology as an undergrad. I'm uh, sorry. In 2000, I took herpetology as an undergrad. So that's 22 years ago. And we all went to the All Ohio Reptile Show, the eight students that took it with, with me. And my friend bought a South Florida king snake then. And it was an adult. Okay. That snake is alive behind me. And he had it for like five years. And uh, of course, wasn't into having a snake anymore. And I got the the snake. Mm -hmm. um, but that animal has been kept so many different ways. It lived on newspaper. It's lived in a decked out vivarium. It lived in a rack. It lived in um a, a 55 gallon fish tank with a screen lid and a clamp lamp from Lowe's like a million different ways. It's still alive, but even though it lived all those different ways, one of those ways was the best way for it where it was most comfortable. That's what I want to try to get at because mm -hmm. when your animals are not stressed. They're going to live longer. And they're going to reproduce more often, and they're going to rebound from that process. Yeah. So that that's the that's what I'm after with you know trying to figure out. I think that's the the fun part of herpetoculture from a sciencey point of view, and I think we all should be at least willing to give that a go. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that 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 meeting of of natural history and sort of molding it to to the best of your abilities can, hmm. you know, make a way bigger difference than care sheets could. Oh yeah. yeah. And that's, totally. that's cause and I totally agree. Cause I'm trying to, that cause that's something I've been trying to, you know, start moving forward to with, you know, cause I'm very happy with where I am at my, at my current collection. And now like with the animals that I have, I want to start moving towards doing a lot more, you know, for the enclosure side of things, like more cages, more setups, more naturalistic things, you, you know, yeah, because I up there. There you go. A little better. Yeah. Oh, see, I gotta like, I gotta like make yeah, out with this thing to talk into it, and it's uncomfortable for me. But yeah, I want to start incorporating more, more like actual cages. You know, I'm always gonna use racks. They're always gonna be more convenient for you know 
several babies and things like that. But I want to start moving stuff to even if it's a grow out, you know, into smaller cages, I would like to have, you know, sets of small cages for things growing and, you know, a lot more using a lot more lights. You know, I've always been an advocate for belly heat for years, but, you know, I'm actually getting set up from black box equipped with UVB and actually basking light. And this is the first time mm-hmm. I've used a setup like that in quite some time, especially for a snake. So I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm going to have a yellow rat snake in there. So I'm excited yeah. to see how he reacts to that. Um, so, and if all goes well, I plan on pretty much over time switching all my adults to setups like that, you know, just to get the UVB and UVA, you know, lights and more cycling and you know i'm going to start doing night cycles for everything you know turning heat off at night because i feel like that's more natural for the animals and all that stuff so i'm all about it yeah no i keep most of my stuff naturalistically not bioactive not with a naturalistic approach there's a difference right big difference (laughs) yes uh and i do have I have racks at home mostly for I just find that racks are the easiest way to grow the snakes, right. not lose them. And you can totally set a tub up in a naturalistic <laughs> way. People don't you know, that whole argument about anti tub. Yeah, you, you need to just sit down, be still, shut and up, think <laughs> because you can <laughs> add cypress and leaves and um, pothos. plants, pothos, you know, all that kind of jazz. And a lot of snakes, I'm not saying baby snakes don't bask. They absolutely bask. They use to get UVA, UVB. It is very difficult to incorporate that into a tub. But at the same time, a lot of species are fossorial when they're young. They're literally part of the leaf litter yep. down on the ground. And if you yep. recreate that, you're creating the habitat that they they prefer. That's that's one of the reasons why I did the transition to, to king snakes is that... Um, the, where you normal where they naturally occur and i'm not i'm, I'm talking about the getula kings the big guys those are the ones that i like mm-hmm. the meth propeltus those, like those, yes, those are those are those are the ones those are the ones i like and I, i'm trying to you've got you've got <laughs> me you've got me on a little bit of a little bit of an itch with those zach we're gonna, oh no they're they're we're, we're gonna get badass. in the king we're gonna get in the kings a little bit for sure. but uh I like easterns <laughs> but like brooks can go to hell <laughs> i love them today i had such a bad experience with those as a kid that it's like i they could not exist and i'd be okay <laughs> well they they love their cypress mulch and leaf blend that i give them and they get down in there and they use the belly heat and nice. uh and and i i think that they're doing well because they grow like freaking weeds i mean i've 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 been great i've been impressed with how fast the floridana that i have have grown I have a couple um, OBX kings. Used to be stick to seps. Uh, love those things. Uh, my family went to the Outer Banks. I I used to say, well, up until I was thirty three, I'm forty three. I went to the Outer Banks pretty much every year, including the year I was a fetus. Like my <laughs> my parents, my my mother's side of the family, that's where they just went before it was all blown up. So. Mm-hmm. There was no way if there was a king snake that was endemic to the Outer Banks that I was not going to have have it. But uh, I have a couple little worms. Like they're somebody saw them at one of the the shows in Pennsylvania and said, "You want these?" And I was like, "Yeah, go ahead, grab them for me." And they took a picture, and I didn't realize how small they were. Oh, and then I got them. I was like, "Jesus Christ, these yeah, things were like an egg last Tuesday." Um, oh my god! But I but I put them in the tub and. 
They burrowed right down into that substrate like they do, put the pinks down, and they've quadrupled in size. And now when I got them, they were like five inches maybe two months ago. Now they're pushing a foot and a half. So they're like off to the races. I think a lot right. of it has to do with the fact that they're in that tub. They feel secure. They're down in the, you know. That was one of the reasons why I went to Kings instead of Rat Snakes because I knew that I was going to have a hard time giving them cages that had a lot of vertical space. Right. Mm. But the Kings spend a lot of their 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 niches, fossorial predator. They're down on the ground. Mm. I'm not saying they won't go up. They totally will go up, but they prefer to be down low, and most of their prey's down there. So, you know, yeah, they're just kind of better suited for like an ARS rack that's got the window. Mm-hmm. That's those big tubs. That's perfect for them. So, mm. uh, that's that's where. Most of them are going, but I also have my PVC uh, enclosures, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, rat, that's why, like with with rat snakes, I'm starting. I start. I'll start rat snakes. So I'm starting my youngins in tubs. You know, just smaller ones in XR16 from Black Box. But as soon as they you know outgrow about a V18, I want to try and get everything in in those taller taller enclosures because uh, you know i even have some of my larger ones are in like standalone tubs outside of the rack because they're you know 14 inches tall or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah i definitely love getting giving them that vertical space there yeah. the rat snakes in a in the watch naturalistic enclosure are great yeah i can't wait to see this guy how he acts in this uh in this enclosure i get for black box i'm super excited about it i'm debating on if i want to try and grow some pothos in there Mm-hmm. See how see how we go. Um, but what what's your substrate mix? You said you give them a, a oh, it's, Cypress it's nothing special. Um, so I buy I, I buy all my substrates at the, uh, the um, big box stores like Lowe's or Home Depot. So I buy right. a shredded Cypress blend. Some people lose their mind because there's some hardwoods in there, like maple or cherry or something like that effect and mm. i've not seen any kind of bad effect I've, yeah i've never had any issues with oh. and then i add to that um i've been experiment so one of the problems i had with it is that it would it stays super wet when it's fresh out of the bag and then it will reach a tipping point where it goes from super wet to bone ass dry in right. like three days Mm-hmm. And I was having a really hard time maintaining humidity with it. And so I um, I was at a, a store we have here called Rural King where people go and like buy farming equipment and crap like that. And I knew they had animal bedding in mass and they had these bags of corn cob bedding, which is just corn cobs minched up mm-hmm. into like a pelleted form. And I thought, OK, I'll give that a whirl. And so mm-hmm. I kind of mixed that with the cypress. And what's cool about that is if you miss the corn cobs, um, it holds the water, but you got to be careful because if you had too much, it molds like that. I believe oh, it. So you have to kind of you have to experiment a little bit. But when you get that perfect balance, it works out well. And then I take um, just leaves from outside, mulch them all up, and I throw them in my freezer, <clears throat> and that's gonna wipe out viruses and, and stuff like that to a certain degree. Uh, if I'm really worried about it, I have baked it before at like 400 degrees in the oven. Makes your house smell really weird. But then I boiled magnolia leaves. What was that? Boiling, I boiled magnolia leaves when I was doing frogs, uh, and it <laughs> smelled freakishly good. Yes, hmm. no, it was very I have, odd. I have a big sycamore tree right next to my house, and it it 
it sheds these giant leaves that dry up and you can crumple them up really well. And that's mm. what I use. And it doesn't smell all that awful either. Nice. Um, it's kind of perfumey. But then I mix yeah. all that together and it kind of creates like it creates the substrate of a pine forest. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, because that's that's exactly what I'm going for. I'm trying to mm -hmm. figure out a, a sub to do a mix of. And I tried I did a little experiment the other day just to try. I just mixed I mixed the bark and um, and some cypress together to see just how it came out. But I want to do bark cypress, some bark cypress possibly sand and um, yeah. possibly a little topsoil and see if I can get yep. that piney feel to it. But I I've, thought I've about thrown, up leaves. I've thrown sand in there as a drainage. Yeah. Yeah. Layer, and it mm -hmm. worked out really well. Yeah. Especially when you mix it up, it really helps if you have water instead of it sitting on top of the yes. soil while it absorbs, it just goes right you know, into the sand and right then through. It yep. percolates through. But that, that's the, the substrate that I'm using for most mm. of my stuff, actually. Uh, and then if it needs, if I need more moisture, I just take sphagnum um, and soak it and wring it out a little bit. And then I'll throw it at one end. Usually if, if it's in a tub for a rack, I'll put it up on the cool end. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you put it back by the, the heat tape, it just cooks it. Right. It doesn't cook it. But that the humidity, like you might as well have the Amazon. Right. Mm -hmm. it, it's crazy. Right. But uh I went to that because I was my house because we have winter up here and the ambient humidity in my house right now is about 10 percent. So that yeah. with just the natural what's going on in the tub, I can hold it at like 30 to 40 percent. But I wanted to get it up around 50 to 80. And so I, I played around with all kinds of things trying to figure it out. And it took me about two years to figure that one out. But for the baby king snakes, uh and, and a lot of my like tropical stuff, it's working out pretty well. Nice. So I think we have that. We have a very far advantage with that here with humidity. Yeah. I don't have a problem as far as humidity goes with anything. Yeah. yeah I, I use with Aspen it, with all our, with all my colubrids and I, I have, we're no still issues. at like 50% here, even in the <laughs> winter. Yeah. And that's just, like, I, and that's just out, you know, that let that's not included like in the enclosure. I have no idea what it would be in the enclosure, but. Yeah, our average is from thirty to fifty percent this time of year. Yeah, no, yeah, we we right. have we run heaters that dry that's pumping out hot dry air. So what little humidity would be present in, in the houses around where I'm at, it just is all vaporized. Yeah, and I have definitely thought about that being a cue that we don't think about for brumation because ever since Chad said I don't drop my heat. And I brewmate things fine. I've been trying to think of like, well, what is the trigger that's letting those animals know it's winter if it's not a thermal trigger? Yeah. And like the only one that I could think of is, and I don't know, because I'm not in Chad's house. So I have no clue what his humidity is. But I thought that you're going to have an increase of humidity in the spring and summer right. and a decrease in the winter. Maybe that's a cue or it could just literally be temperate colubrids don't need to be cooled. And we're all doing something we don't have to do. <laughs> which is why I want to do the science to figure out what the hell's going on. Cause that has me thinking a lot. Well, well Chris, Chris paint um, his Everglades produced and he did not, he didn't cool them. He just co-abbed them and yeah, but they're from the Everglades. They, they just, they just, yeah, produced. But, but that's, but that's what, what he's, that's what he's getting at though. You know, yeah. the, the mm -hmm. more Southern colubrids, you know, that's, yeah. that's yeah. I, like, we had that conversation on snakes and stogies like two weeks ago. And I, I had talked about how, 
Like photo periods seem to be the only thing that was universally the same, no matter where you were at. Like those days mm-hmm. are shorter. And for some reason, it seemed like Phil struggled to to agree with that. And, <laughs> you know, it was it turned into a whole conversation. But I was like, that's really the only thing that that we don't have complete control over. Yeah. It's like, wouldn't that play a bigger factor? You know, because winner is winner is winner. The days are going to be shorter no matter where you're at, at least here in the, in the States. So it's like, yeah, like didn't have to cool Everglades rats down here, but you did up there. The photo period is still going to be the same. Right. So it's like, is that not playing a bigger part in it is kind of where I'm right. where I was. The from. issue is when you have the animals in like a room in the middle of a house and they're not receiving that stimulus. So, you know, that that then as begs the question like what the hell are they what is telling them to do this and mm-hmm. there there is an evolutionary response that's that's present here like there's biology behind this this is not right. an accident um there's something going on there and that's why i think it's super interesting mm. so anywho well to keep us keep us up to date with that because i want to i hear your thoughts that's that's really interesting now you've got me you got me doing a lot of wandering because mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense but so you're just doing like brooks and yeah it's talking Eastern about King kings or... oh no i'm doing them all because that's the way we do things right exactly. we can't just have like a small amount no. So, no you have to have them all yeah so back in may well i'm doing all the ones i can do legally and we'll get into that here in a minute um because west virginia has new herp regs um back in april or may i I was just having a, a rough 2021. Um, <laughs> my, my wife had, we, we found out and she's totally fine, but we found out that she had a very large tumor on her pancreas. And like the one organ you don't want to have a tumor on is your pancreas. Yeah. So um, she had to have this big surgery and you know, I spent 10 days in a hospital with her commuting from here to Morgantown, which is about an hour and a half or not. That's like an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, and then the, the cert, like we had a week of good and then there was, she got pancreatitis and ended up back in the hospital for 10 more days. Oh, geez. And, you know, I was working on the book and I was worried about her and I was driving. And when I drive by myself, that's when I think, and I yep. realized that I liked my collection at home. <laughs> I didn't love the collection. <laughs> but it could be better. <laughs> And I was, I just started thinking like, well, what, what's going on at the time? I had a lot of Asian rat snakes, which you now have Justin. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. anyway, so you reap the benefits of this whole thing. And I was just like, well, why do I have these? Um, and I just kind of realized that I got them cause I thought I would like them. And I was being honest with myself. I like them. I just didn't necessarily like something about keeping them. Right. Um, and so I moved those on, you know, to you, I had great big beauty sn- beauty rats taiwans and blue beauties and i love them to death but uh my time with them was you know over a lot of space yeah well i had them in massive cages they were in eight foot eight by two by twos they were like big um and they were as big as the cages too which was also an issue so i found people that would you know take those and had the space and everything and I just started thinking, like, well, what are the animals that you like? And, and what do you want to do when you get home? Because keep in mind, I come to the university and work with snakes and reptiles all day long with the Zeus collection. 
And I realized that when I got home, I just wanted snakes that would be easy. Right. I didn't like want to have to worry about all this right. crazy stuff. And so I thought like, you know, back to my false water cobras, which everybody knows are my favorite animals on planet earth. Um, so I thought, what's a snake that lives in North America that, you know, has attributes that I can provide adequate caging for. And I was like, well, the king snakes are cool. And so then I did something that was, that, that is very dangerous um, for me <laughs> is I started looking for a book and if I can find a book that does a nerdy deep dive on something, that's what like, that's my gateway in, into the, yeah. you know, the deep regions of it. And I found Brian Hubbs's yep. common King snake book and bought that and the mountain King book. <laughs> and I thought the mountain Kings would do it for me, but then I realized they're temperamental bitches and I don't want to deal nah. with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, but these things, like you put a mouse in front of them, they eat. Slam it. You put a rat in front of them, they eat. Put a hand uh, in front of them. <laughs> exactly. Put a hand, you're going to eat. eat it. They don't care. Uh, oh, no. And then I also realized that a lot of things I like in herpetoculture, so like there's totally localities out to oh, wazoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some really, really cool evolutionary biology with these animals. Um, there's paleobiography with these animals. So like I was reading uh, Hubs's book and then I did a deep dive with some publications, but like Outer Banks King Snakes, if you ever look at them and then you look at a Florida King and you're like, they have the same pattern, no, but they're so don't. far apart, but they're really not that far apart. If you go back to the middle of the last, you know, middle of the Cenozoic age of mammals mm -hmm. to the Miocene Pliocene, we, you know, when, when the ice age was present, all that water was slurped up in a uh, glacier, sea levels were lower. And that phenotype that we see in Brooks Kings and Florida Kings, that habitat they needed, which is that low coastal plain, they could totally get from Florida up into the Carolinas. And then we have warming, glaciation, sea levels rise, and the OBX Kings are isolated out there. And the Florida Kings are way down in peninsular Florida, but they're related. Like, that's not an accident. Mm -hmm. Like, that stuff to me is, I can't get enough of that. So I, I was learning about this, you know, all that. And I was like, okay. This is happening. I'm just going to get a couple. So then I, I traded some water cobras. Famous last words. Yep. Yeah. To uh, <laughs> the guy at Evergreens Reptiles, Shane. And he had a, a, a trio of Florida Kings. So I got those. And uh, I traded more water cobras. <laughs> and got some goin' eye. Um, and uh, uh, some, um, uh, what are they called? The Canefield Kings, which are classic Floridana. And then everybody's dealer. I talked to Montross. And the next thing you know, <laughs> hey. I got like eight king snakes now. Not eight. I got one, two, three, four, five, five localities from him. And it just kept snowballing. And now I have all the all the species I can keep legally. I can't keep Nigra, um, which is the uh, Black King, which unfortunately is my favorite. Uh, that's wow. the only one that I have found in the field because they were around Huntington, West Virginia. Actually, I bred those and didn't even mean to. Um, the last wild-caught snakes I collected to keep was I found a female and I found a male in a field uh, of the Black Kings. And then when I was a graduate student at Marshall, and then I got my job at a nature center here in Wheeling, and they had a snake exhibit. And they basically were like, we're trying to get all the snakes to West Virginia. If you find king snakes, please nab them. And I had permits and all that stuff. And so I brought them up and then I had them. Um, I was 
I actually made a mistake. I had a rack and I put the male in a tub, got confused, put the female in the male's tub. Uh-oh. And then I heard a bunch of thrashing and thought, oh, Christ, <laughs> the male's eating the female. And then I opened up the tub and was like, he is not eating the female. We're going to close this slowly. Uh, and then <laughs> to like 20 little black king uh, babies. Um, so I also knew that they were easy to breed and I was, I've been looking for an animal that I can use for my research here that'll hold my attention. That is easy. That's not something that everybody else is into. And one of the things I've noticed is like rat snakes seem to get a lot of love. Um, uh, the mountain Kings and the Alterna and Leonis or Theri, whatever they mex mex, those all get a lot of love. And I'm not saying that Florida Kings don't get love. They get love, but like Leonis seems to be a smaller, subset of people that are doing it and so yeah got into those i now have specs it's also very easy to amass a collection of these things and they're they're not overly expensive which is mm-hmm. also nice that's how i ended up um, with so many rat snakes man yeah and because because of because yellow rat snake because like people when it comes to rat snakes i feel like a lot of people are into like the black rat morphs you know what i mean people mm-hmm. love rat snakes but a majority are into like the Ooh, black nice. rat the black rat stuff you know nobody likes the yellows as much you know people like mm-hmm. the everglades people love that bright orange everglades rat yes but nobody loves those classic yellows and like those are some of my freaking favorites yeah. from them. and it's like they're so they're so cheap and i love them so much yeah. and it's so hard <laughs> so but, and then the other thing yeah. I, I love about the kings is that i can go herping and see these things. Yeah, so that's the best. I did my epic um, Kansas trip for the Plains hogs and didn't find them. Uh, 35 wow. species, no Nasicus. But I had two species I wanted to find, like that were the targets, the main targets. The other one was a speckled king snake. That was the other target we didn't get. So mm-hmm. like, uh, th- I can also incorporate like the herping piece. So this year, one of my goals I'm in a lot of king snake territory uh, with all the crayfish work I'm doing. So it's it's very e- and we and the the work we do doing the crayfish sampling is very similar to herping. Uh, we we drive from site to site to site back in the back country of wherever we are, Kentucky, West Virginia, South Carolina, um, and we pass all kinds of herping spots. We're also driving all the time, so we're perpetually road cruising. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to incorporate the the field piece to this whole thing. I'm not collecting anything. I don't want to bring them into the collection. I just want to get mm-hmm. pictures and take some. Every time I find one, I'm just going to get some microhabitat data. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out a way to, to do some things with king snakes that I want to do with water cobras, but I false water cobras, but I can't get to like, I can't just go to Paraguay. That's hard. Right. right That's right. super expensive. But I can go to South Carolina or I can go to Florida or can go to Kansas. So, um, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm really digging it. I like it. Uh, but right now I have Specs, um, Holbrook Eye, the Outer Banks Kings. I have a pair of Easterns that I have, you know, talked with West Virginia about. Um, I have the Florida Kings. Uh, I have the Goin Eye and the Means Eye. Um, so I pretty much have all of them, but but Nigra, uh, West Virginia just passed herp rules that said you can't keep native species unless um, we just can't keep native species. 
Right. And I, I'm part of the committee for the state that works on herpetology. And when the rules came out, I was kind of like, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> this wasn't discussed. Um, but um, sounds about right, though. Yeah, yeah. But but we but the good thing is, though, I was able to, like, talk to the people. Uh, and, you know, it, it's kind of a testament to when we actually talk instead of just laying down the law, because. We have a population of corns in West Virginia. Corns are one of our rarest snakes. And to my knowledge, no one's ever collected them. No one's ever kept them. No one That's not a locality because they're so flipping hard to find. Um, and because they, they, they are, they haven't found, like I got my West Virginia corn on my life list last year. Uh, nice. They, they said like no corn snakes. And I was able to talk to them and be like, listen. <laughs> corn snakes don't count. You have a candy cane, motley, <laughs> hippopotamus, whatever the hell. That did not come from a cut in West Virginia. Like yeah. that is a well-established line. And if we just let people keep those, they're not going to want to go get the worm infested corn. That's there. They, they like, we just need to do that. And so to DNR's credit, I love those guys. They were like, well, let's look at this. And so they're actually redoing good you know rules so it's an example of like if we just talk instead of yell and throw our bombs you know yeah. but um so that's why i'm staying away from the black kings because i i don't need those yeah yeah you know. your I gotta... your speckled kings are driving mm -hmm. me nuts man oh my god they're yeah. so oh they're beautiful i have harris counties um and then i just picked up another pair from Hamburg. I have people everywhere. I didn't go to Hamburg, but Dan Sheehan <laughs> was at Hamburg and was like, you want these? I was like, yeah, Damn it, Dan. <laughs> Damn it. So, yes, I do. <laughs> so, nice. Nice. They're beautiful. But I'm, I'm done. And this is my first year trying to breed them. So I've got, I don't even know how many, I, I, I don't know how many pairs. I've got like two males and four or five female Floridana cooling right now. So I don't is that, imagine is that all you're, difficult, so. is that all you're trying to breed this year is the Florida? Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Sweet. And that's part of another that's actually part of a graduate student's thesis where we're testing the idea that if you incubate eggs at low temperatures, you produce bigger babies than you do at warmer temperatures. I will uh, hard because I've heard everybody talk about that. And I thought, well, you know, where's the data? And so we can get the data. Um, nice. So that's what we're doing. That's all. That's it. why there's so many freaking snakes in my garage right now. Brewmini. I like that. I like that thesis. That's a, that's a mm -hmm. cool one. Because yeah. I've, I've always heard that too. And that's always been my belief. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. But that's the King Stinks in a nutshell. They're fun. I, I have not had one refuse a meal. And I cannot tell you how amazing that is. <laughs> <laughs> Those Asiatic rat snakes I had were like, uh, sometimes they would eat, sometimes they wouldn't. Some of them would eat every time. Um, but and I still have Asian rats. I I kept my pulcher, so I have Oreo cryptophis, the bamboo rats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I my favorite rat snake ever. I will always have these are Japanese rats. I think that they, in my opinion, um, they are one of the best for for captivity. I'm not gonna say the best because then we're gonna be like fighting over bears. <laughs> you but, took the words out of my mouth. Nah, nah. 
but they are one of the best uh, because they don't get gigantic. Um, but they're still impressive and right. they're active as hell. Like I have them set up in a great big, I keep them communally. Um, I did that last year and they're always out. They're inquisitive. You open the door, they kind of come out and say, hi, I like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. No Japanese rats ever since seeing your pictures of them, uh, Japanese rats have been on my, on my radar for the future. For sure. They're, they, they, they're, they're intense. I had the hardest time getting those things to lay a fertile clutch though. I yeah. did every, it took me four years. Other people breed them every freaking year. I went to the, <laughs> I talked to the Zirkles and they're like, I don't understand why you're having a problem. These are easy. I was like, they don't like my house. Like there's something about the juju in my house. They breed like crazy. Yeah. Slug clutch after slug clutch after slug clutch. So that was hey, my first sure. clutch of last year actually was the. That's awesome. Yeah. I do like, so as far as the Eastern Kings, I do have an appreciation for those because there is a lot of yeah. variation Mm-hmm. You know, across the range and stuff, you know, especially you get up into like Virginia and you get the yep. the wider bands and the and you know more white, and then you mm-hmm. come down here and you get a you know much thinner bands and more black. And I've there's, only... there's a locality like Chain King group oh, yeah. on Facebook that's oh no, there's there, yeah, there's totally locality with them. People are, I think, really it's it's a shame that those get sort of overlooked a lot, but at those the same are time, my having favorite. kept some, I understand why. Those are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, they're psychopaths, but man, they're yes. my favorite king snakes. I've only, it's sad though, I've only ever found one. I've only ever found one Eastern King yeah, around here. And it was never. at the, it was at the sands of all places. You know, I it saw was one right, that, it was right on the salt same water. Area when we were in the little, me and Ellie were walking around the little Cypress Weapons yeah. area. Saw a really nice one. Tried to catch it. it too well, that doesn't surprise me because of the cypress. Yeah. But this was literally like off the boardwalk That's weird. of the of the mm-hmm. sands, like literally in the marsh. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I <laughs> I caught it in this ditch that led to saltwater. That's crazy. It was, it was crazy. Wow. But yeah, big old eastern king. This thing was probably five foot long. It's probably yeah. eating crabs. I don't know how with all the traveling I've done in the southeast, I haven't found one yet. But I actually don't have that on my list of things to that I have observed or collected or taken a picture of in west virginia um they are actually are they are tied as the rarest snake uh we have two snakes that are king snakes have been documented eastern kings Mm. but um there was one record of a pine snake a northern pine snake all the way down the southern part of the state and people think it could have been a pet because no one has felt like their habitat's not there it doesn't make any sense but i've seen the smashed rogue killed specimen in a jar at the museum at marshall so but my goal this year with all that south carolina work we're doing is getting the the eastern king i I think that i can hopefully add that one to that list i wish i could help you out with that man but that's been it's been one that's eluded me for a long time like you said i kind of got lucky with that one this was years ago i think i was in high school when i found when i caught this um you know, I wasn't even harping when I found it. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of luck of the draw, you know. But um, ever since, I've ne- I've never found another one. You know, out of all the time I've spent looking around for all types of stuff, you know, it's it's one that's always eluded me. If I found one Eastern King here, and I found one Scarlet King in Florida, and those are the only only King snakes I found. I found a couple of Scarlet snakes. Now I have found several Scarlet snakes here um but never scarlet kings scarlet king of florida then the eastern here is the only kings i've i've come across unfortunately but 
glad glad I was able to check both of them off my uh, my bucket list. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've only found one um scarlet snake. Uh, I I took a bunch of kids to Congaree National mm-hmm. Park on our way to Okefenokee, and we stopped in the parking lot in March to eat lunch, and then to just walk around and get them out of the car. Uh, For sure. And I was walking across the parking lot, and I saw that color, and I didn't know what it was. I you know, lizard brain took over, and I was like, "Yeah, this is one of three options. One is really spicy. Let's just make sure we don't crap <laughs> <this perfectly." laughs> But I ended up like falling in front of everybody because you know i did the whole whole thing and it was killed by a um it was been run over but i reported to the park and the park was like oh we have we haven't have that many records of those things and i was kind of shocked that they didn't uh because they've done a lot of herb surveys in congaree so nice Um, but that's my only scarlet snake scarlet scarlet snakes are are neat and it's, a, yes, it's funny and every, cool everybody thinks they're king snakes and yeah you because know, mm-hmm. i get everybody who knows me i get random texts from people i haven't heard from years and they're like what is this you know it's a picture of a snake can't tell you how many scarlet snakes i've got I'd be like is this a king snake like no no it's not it's, it's yeah very close but yeah, there's no shortage know, of those down here yeah they're really neat little snakes though man they're super cool i would love to keep them if they were good captive snakes but they they really, from what I have heard, I've never attempted, but from what I've heard, yeah. they do not do well in captivity. Um, but they are super neat little snakes for sure. Yep. No. Mm. The only one I've seen was flat as a pancake. So that sucks. Yeah. One time my cat left one with no head on the front <laughs> porch. That was that was neat. I was not happy about it. <laughs> I say my cats, my mom's cats. I don't do cats. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was that cat almost went into the pond. But, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of ponds, what about water snakes, man? Oh, when did you get into those? <laughs> I've been into water snakes as long as I've been into snakes. Oh, so, really? Yeah. My dirty little secret <laughs> is that <laughs> my favorite North American snakes are Nerodia. Like yes. forever be Nerodia. Yes. I'm, I'm oh, proud of that. I'm not ashamed I love of that. It. I'm not I, I, back in my herpetology days when I was in grad school and we would go to these like big fancy meetings and everybody's talking about adamantius this or like you know eastern kings they're not eastern kingdom sorry eastern diamondbacks and like then you go to the people that study timber rattlesnakes and you know they're walking around with their chest puffed out and then you got me and I'm like I love my northern water snakes yeah. and everybody <laughs> like what the hell so like I, I just have always liked animals this is also why I like the kings the reason why most people don't like these things is the reason I like them. I like things that like fight back. I, I, I've, I've never like if I see a Nerodia, I've, I've literally been herping with people that have seen Nerodia, and they're like, "Oh no, I'm not touching that." Oh no! Nah, and and man. meanwhile, like I am knocking their ass over doing a header into the swamp. They come out with it. It's bit me three times. It's musked in my face, and I'm just happy as can be. Dude, so. I gotta, I gotta send you a picture of a nearly <laughs> six foot diamondback water snake. I fell into nice. the swamp and into the swamp to grab. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this thing was on a log, and I Bro. fell it. I fell into the water grabbing it, and I pulled it up, and it was about as long as I was. And I said, "Holy shit!" Yes, it was. No. Oh, it was awesome. They are my favorite. Uh, when I go. Her, that's why I like swamps. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't know anybody cared about Nerodia. And when I stumbled onto Dark Horse yes. and Matt Dove and the guys that actually, like, yes, 
care for them, <laughs> care about them. I was like, people do this. There yeah. are people like me. I said so. the same thing. Cause like, I never saw them as like a captive species, but I've mm -hmm. always loved water snakes. Like one of my goals is to find like as many yes. of the North American ones I've, I can, I've found several and I'm very proud of that. But, um, yeah, no, I've, I always, I always love them, but I never saw them as a species that like you would keep. And then I mm -hmm. stumbled across dark horse and my entire life changed. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And they make, yeah, they, they actually adapt well mm -hmm. to captivity, but you have to keep them a certain way. And that was always my problem back in the day is that I was not keeping them the right way. Um, when I when it's back in the day, so like to give you an idea of how much I love these snakes, when I was an undergrad in uh, 1999, this is also the the summer, the first summer my wife and I were dating, and she did not like snakes. And the snake I used to introduce her to snakes was Nerodia, which was fantastic because nice. they literally solidified every thought she thought was true <laughs> about snakes. <laughs> <Old> move, <laughs> yes. Um. Really but uh, pencils on that one. I did a That's what's great. called an odd ecology study where you basically just study everything. You study what the snakes are eating. You study what habitat the snakes use. You study when they breed. You study the behavior of the babies, the juveniles, the adults. And like that was my under my undergrad project. And I did it with with Nerodia sipidon, common water snake at the end of the creek I grew up on. And like I just loved everything about that project um and then i went to grad school and you know i got to study cool things now i can't study <laughs> the derpy rodia cool yeah my stuff. heart was there yeah and i ended up trying to do a thesis on eastern hognose snakes and it was just a complete disaster i found <laughs> one you can't write a freaking thesis on one snake um and so i ended up segueing over to studying snakes on this mine and I'm on the mine and I'm walking around and there's a wetland on the mine. I went into the wetland and I saw one Nerodia and I was like, done. So then my graduate degree, I'm focusing on those things. Then I become a professor. Um, there's a creek at the bottom of the hill. It's got queen snakes and Nerodia in it. And I was like, we're going to study the queen snakes because they <laughs> eat the crayfish and they're a specialist. But we're also going to study the Cipidon. So we're down there like, <laughs> you know, studying them as well. Um, but when I go herping, when I lived in Florida and I'd go road cruising, yeah, Florida water, Florida bandits, uh, picked adventurous are like everywhere. I was in absolute heaven. Like yes. I would go to some roads with my headlamp, just park the car and, you know, come back to the car bleeding freely, smelling like absolute crap. Oh yeah. And every oh, yeah. single one I had to catch it, look at its pattern, you know, interact with it. Uh, so no. Um, in fact, one of the things that I'm like toying around with is if I, when I get this book done and I get the hognosnake book done, I, I, I really want to do a book on nature scenes because I think it, it would be cool to have a book that focuses on garter snakes, water snakes, and the Asian yes. nature scenes. Because in <laughs> Europe, fun fact, I they appreciate the Nerodia scenes. in Europe. They do not, we do not appreciate Nerodia here. Um, no. but anywho. I but no, I love them to death. And I love keeping them because they have, uh, they are one of the most interactive snakes you can keep, in my opinion. They're you, crazy. I you, love them. Yeah. <laughs> you set them up in a naturalistic enclosure. Uh, you got to be careful. You can't keep them too wet. But um, I have mine that we do a lot of target training here. And like Nerodia are always, they're, 
considered to be derps and everything like that. They are so visually and like everything about they're very visual in their hunting. A lot of snakes rely on chemo, uh, chemo sensory. So they'll smell the rat. They pick up the pee trail. They track it. They eat it. Nerodia do that, but they're also like hunting visually. I was able to train the Florida water snakes to target that I have. Sorry, the Florida banded water snakes in like under a month. So I can hold up a little target and they just boom down to the glass and they're sitting there like little beagles waiting for me to open up the glass. <laughs> and then they open up the glass and I move the target. They follow the target. I put the tilapia up and they pound it like they're fantastic. I just don't understand. You give them branches and you give them things to use in the vivarium and they use it like they'll actually bask uh, all the behaviors you see out in the wild. You can get them in, in, in human care. Um, so now I, I just, I love them to death. Um, number one is the false water cobra. Number two, as far as keeping and I'm concerned, Nerodian king snakes. That's it. That's that's awesome. And then I everything else them. is like right behind it. Yeah. No, I've, I've really enjoyed keeping Nerodia. They are, they are different. They're very different from anything else I've kept. I will say that they're very, it's very odd for me. Like yes. I've always, Cause I don't, I don't tong feed any of the ones I have granted. Most of the stuff I have is pretty small, but it's very odd for me cutting up pinkies and, you know, putting basically a plate of food out for them. And then just Mm -hmm. hearing, hearing a bunch of little ticks of them (laughs) flailing around in their enclosures and going insane over this plate of food that's in there. And it's so funny. Like I have two of yours and one, one enclosure together and mm-hmm. dude, I'll put it, I'll put a plate in there with just a bunch of pinky parts in it. And I'll just wait. And all of a sudden I just hear little ticks of yeah. bedding being thrown around and they just, they go insane. Thrashing. It's, it's yes. crazy. They're little monsters, but they are so, like you said, they're so inquisitive and they're, no, they're, they're the, they're the only snakes I have that will literally fly out of the tub with a mouse just in their mouth, just mm-hmm. out and they just go in. I can't wait to get them more set up in more naturalistic enclosures. I keep, I'm really excited to see them. I keep mine a little different than most people. Um, yeah, I was going to ask. I, you I, I have all of mine are set up with. Uh, I try to get them in an enclosure that has some kind of open ventilation for their lids. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you go out and collect these things, collect's the wrong word. If you herp and you find right. them, uh, Nerodia are, are absolutely sun worshippers. Yes. Um, they like to bask. Uh, and I feel like that's just a part of their biology that if you give them the opportunity to do it, they're going to do it and it might right. benefit them. Um, right. You don't have to do it. You know, I, I know that many of the Nerodia keepers don't, but I have all a mindset up where every one of them has the ability to bask. Even the grow outs are in. I, I went to a show and they were selling these little things for tarantulas. Uh, and it's like a 10 gallon, it's the footprint of a 10 gallon aquarium, but it's only like five inches tall with a sliding screen, mm-hmm. um, lid. So that's what I bought to keep my grow outs in and everything like that. Uh, but so like babies and, and yeah. stuff, mm-hmm. like even groups in those. Yeah. That's where, 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 I, where yours were before I sent mm-hmm. them to you. Yeah. And you're able to put a, a heat lamp on top of there and yeah, they're just fantastic because I have them all decked out with like grape wood. And it's strategically placed underneath the lamp. So they've got basking platforms. Mm-hmm. And then I I have um, most of them are in PVCs that are two, two foot deep, 15 inches tall, and then four feet long. And then I've got, uh, they're on the tops of the stacks. So they have the, the lamps. Mm-hmm. And then I take pothos, 
put the pothos into a basin. So I fill up the basin. So there's water there. And then I have just a bus bin with water on top of bricks so they can get under that and use it as a high, but then they can get up into the water and then they can travel along the branches that all lead to the water. But hmm. they're so freaking awesome in that setup because I walk in in the morning, the lights come on and they're, they're, they're down. And right. then within 15 minutes, you'll see them all and they all kind of slither up there and they do their coils underneath the light. And then they'll do different types of basking um, throughout the day. And then when they get to temperature, they hit the water and it's just like having a little coastal swamp. Like it's right. the best thing ever. And that's my, my favorite animals are the animals that if you give them that kind of environment, they're going to use it. And you can just kind of get a little window into what they would be doing behaviorally right. out in nature. Um, that's why I, I tried to get into pythons and they just kind of sit there and I'm too much, I got too much herpetoculture ADD. I need, I need the thing to do something. Right. So, um, anyway, but no, keeping them that way. I'm not saying that's the better way. I'm just saying that's the way I like to keep them. Right. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, y'all have to have you send me some pictures of how you set sure. up your, how you set up your water. Cause I'm trying to picture mm -hmm. it and I can't, I can't. The water is a pain in the ass. I'll fully admit to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I have come up, I'm trying to figure out a way to put some bulkheads on those bus bins yeah. and then have tubing so i can just open it up and drain it into a bucket mm. because they will absolutely oh, yeah. in the now, one thing that's very very oh, interesting God. is that i don't ever find when, all right when i don't offer them the water i you know you get the fecals and mm. the urates all over the enclosure mm -hmm. when i give them that great big bus bin of water it seems like 90 to 95 percent of the defecations occur in the water so it actually makes keeping these snakes that are oftentimes perceived as kind of gross because they crap all the time relatively easy because all the poops being deposited in one spot and you can pick up that bin and dump it and clean it and sterilize it. I'm not saying they only crap there, but I'm saying most of it appears to be going there, which is kind of mm. cool. And then I feed mine fish. Uh, I, I do give them rodents, um, but I kind of supplement with rodents. And then I have all kinds of different types of fish that doesn't, you don't run into that thymonase issue. So Do you ever give them live? Well, I, I did give them live. And then I thought, what the hell are you doing? So yeah. And the reason is I don't want to introduce parasites. Yeah. You know, now so, when you, so when you have wild caught Nerodia, just so everybody knows, like Nerodia were actually one of the, one of the animals that were used in college parasitology classes because they have so many parasites in them. Yeah. That if you cut them open, you're going to get lung parasites. You're going to get gut parasites. You can get blood flukes. I mean, you can get like everything under the sun. So um, it's kind of a losing battle. It's unless you like treat them, and a lot of people don't treat them because once you get them, if they come from the wild, uh, because uh, once they get established, that can actually wipe out those guys. So I've tried to get captive born. You know, I, I think I'm at about like sixty percent captive born, uh, forty percent wild cots right now. Mm -hmm. But no, I have a, I have one rhombifer, uh, bunch oh, of the different yes. bandits. So I have, um, I have fasciata, fasciata, fasciata confluens, and fasciata pectiventris. I have the whole mm. slew. So that's nice. what I'm working with right now. I want awesome. some of the like if I was going to do any Nerodi, be the Sarasotas. Yeah, the Death that, Adders. That yeah, that yes. Montross got from mm -hmm. uh, our buddy. Yes, Eli. Yeah. 
No, those are cool. I really, I the ponchatoulas are really are really yeah. doing it for me. I, I absolutely love to look at those. And when I, I actually went and visited uh, Chris Montross a couple months ago, and he pulled out one that just looked exactly like a cotton mouth, like had yeah. the, the, the perfect, you know, just the the almost that alien head look on the side of them, you know, mm-hmm. and there it was just so freaking cool man i I really like those and then i've got some um i got some jacksonville north carolina or yeah jacksonville north carolina bandits and then um uh some other florida bandits yep citrus county citrus county florida's have you done any uv oh yeah testing with those do they do a similar thing to what the water water covers were doing for you they they would definitely ask under they don't follow it the way that the Gigas did the, okay. the water pulse water cobras did mm-hmm. um but uh they definitely will bask under it uh and it's not heat like right that that light is far enough away from where the branches are that i've temp gunned it to see like are they getting heat but they'll definitely hang there i mean being as active as they are with the basking out in nature it doesn't surprise me that they do that uh, yeah. what's been really interesting is their close relatives the garter snakes because i when I had that like collection crisis in May, it's like, what am I going to keep? You know, I'm like, well, you love nature scenes and you want a rodent eating North American colubrid. So that, that was the way. So I dove down the Amnophis as well. And I have a really cool setup for my Oregon red spot. It's that it's probably the closest thing to bioactive that I have. It's a four by two by two that I made a background for. And I have a coil um, Arcadia UVB uh, in there light and that one's been really interesting because the heat comes on first and then the uvb comes on i have them on um timers mm-hmm. hook up to my cell phone and they, they will like immediately they wake up in the morning they go and they bask underneath the heat lamp when the uvb comes on they definitely will leave the heat to go to the uvb for like half an hour or an hour most of the time and then they go back to the heat get to temperature and then they're just like all over that cage all day long nice um so, Those Lake Chalapa is it Lake Chalapa? Chapala. The ones that Mike yeah, Kasiki has that he posts pictures yes. of. Those I have Zach, Zach, Zach cool. has those too. Do yeah. you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They yes. grow like, so cool. Like weeds. I've never had a snake that grows that those are this fast. Those are on my radar. I, I yes. love garter snakes, but I have become I have this slight obsession with like things that are normally small but there's bigger versions I don't even and, care about and that. some the of the ones of that I, I believe it, it's sabrea is that yep. how you pronounce his name well it, it, it's rob shea but oh, okay. he flipped yeah we had him on um colubrid and colubroid radio yeah um, i bet i need to yeah. i need to listen to that and, one and that was a it. great episode um yes his uh, i his have gar- the garter guy yeah the garter guy on instagram i believe right yeah yeah, oh, that's who Kasiki got his. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, he's yeah. he's the leader as far as garter snakes go, man. He's oh my gosh, some of the he's can he's got a lot of like the uh, the bigger lake um, locality, like from Mexican. What's super cool about those snakes from a biology perspective is like everybody knows about the Sky Islands in the Southwest, and you got like the clobber eye and the price eye with the rattlesnakes, and you got the various milk snakes. Those garter snakes from Mexico are they're the exact same thing. You have these isolated lakes at elevation, and each lake has its own subspecies. They're so freaking cool. of these these giant Mexican garter snakes. So I have um, what's called a 
I just forgot their name. Oh, Equus obscurus is the Chapalas, and then Equus scotti is another species or subspecies. Hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if somebody did a modern approach to those, if they're all separate species, um, given the way we define species now. But I have this, the scotti are also really cool because they have a, they're more vibrant pattern. They're yellow and black and, 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 but I, I got them and they were like dinks, they itty bitty mm. little snakes. And that's one thing I don't like about colubrids. Like colubrids are my jam, but I can't stand the itty bitties. Yeah. They God, I crazy. It's so tiny. Yeah. And, and they went from small to like the size of a normal, normal Eastern garter that we would find in our yard. In maybe three or four months no way yes like oh so my fast. god <laughs> and, and rob incredible. said they were going to do that and he wasn't lying like they definitely do it that's that's yes there they are incredible snakes so before we get too deep in the garters i do i i just want to yes. throw it out there i do have two water snake questions for you just to, go for it before we and I'm not claiming to be an erodia keeping expert for the record. Oh no, no, no. I just I like to get opinions because oh, sure. I, I've been having I've been I've been struggling. Okay, so no number one is what kind of fish do you normally go for? Um, you know, because I have I have a personal pond and I caught some brim out of there and I froze mm -hmm. them and I've done some with that, but I'm curious what you do. And then number two, how do you feed groups of babies and then how do you tra how do you track what's going on with them you know because it when i fed like because i at first i had yours all in a group together and when i fed them it stressed me out to no end because they were going absolutely insane and flailing all over the place and i was like i can't i can't deal with this this is too much <laughs> you know like I, they're going crazy so you know both those questions and you know what I do is I do a, uh, I feed twice a week. Mm -hmm. I take the, the, I don't have any in here. So your classic deli cup, I take the lids. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my feeding trough, if you will. I do the same thing. I use and the then lid. I, I take, um, tilapia is my main food because mm -hmm. you can get it in mass. It doesn't have the thymonase issues. It's freshwater fish. I, I buy the Rapashi multivitamin. I don't know. It's like trade name, but it's not the calcium. It's the whole vitamin deal. The powder, yeah. Yeah. And then I give, I present to them pieces of fish that are the size of their head. Okay. And I always make sure after watching them, this is that whole student of the serpent thing. Yes, you can do that for Nerodia too. Um, <laughs> that I try to give them about 10% more food than everybody's going to eat. Yeah. And so that way... Because well, here's what's, what happens all the time. It happens with garters. It happens with Nerodia. happens with all these natricids that we keep communally. When you put the, the food down in there, even though there's more than enough food for everybody to eat, you've got that overly aggressive individual yes. that's going to hit the plate first. And then you've got the, the other individual that's almost like banking on that initial snake to feed that's going to immediately go over and try to get the food out of its mouth. He wants that piece, yeah, not the other pieces. He wants that piece. And, and, that's, wants and, that, and that's what would freak me out is because they would be trying to get pieces out of other exactly. snakes' mouths. And oh, I'm like, what is pieces. going on? I'm like, stop. <laughs> now, they'll literally like do the whole, you know how they eat real fast. Yeah. They'll engulf. They'll do the lady in the tramp thing. And then the next thing you know, it's literally eating the head of one. Yeah. Uh, but what <laughs> happens when that happens is the one that's head is eaten will then start death rolling. Yes. And then the other one's like, oh, mistake. I'm going to puke up Steve and then regurgitates 
that one and then everything's okay and it took me a little while to like accept that this is what they do really? um and i watch wow. them but i've never had anybody die i've never had anybody you know and that whole like crazy behavior of, yeah. of the food's here the food's here it almost makes them manic like you're talking about yeah and that's what makes them eat because what i have found is that when you separate them out if, if they were raised if they were initially raised that way and then you put them together and you put the food in there you, a lot of them are literally waiting for that crazed reaction and right. that's their stimulus that tells them food right uh and so you end up with this kind of weird dynamic where you don't want them doing that so you separate them but then you offer them food and they're like yeah i'm just gonna starve to death because i don't have the chance to chew on steve's face like, <laughs> exactly it's yeah. very weird dynamic so what i did is i just basically i fed them that way um i would like they would grow up separate them grow up separate them grow up separate them but i kept them in groups of five and then i just gave them more space and inevitably now my holdbacks from last year because like this is the first year i bred them so i'm not mm. necessarily the expert here at right. all but uh the ones that i kept for me they're all about a they're somewhere between nine and 12 inches long now and they're girthy they're not tiny but they they just stopped like now they kind of go down at their own leisure or they get their mm -hmm. food they go away and then yeah. i'm okay with throwing away a couple pieces of fish yeah at the end of the day yeah but it, the, but the secret i think is like giving them a little bit more than what they need mm -hmm. because uh, then then underfeeding them because if you don't feed them enough then you're really going to end up with like thunderdome in there but it is thunderdome like that's yeah. that's what's that's what's going down so yeah, okay. that's my answer to that. So do you keep them even as older animals in groups of five? Um, so those like bigger enclosures that I have, I like mm -hmm. to keep uh, the four ish animals to an mm -hmm. enclosure. Uh, like when that rhombifer, she's, she's not big. If she becomes like a real rhombifer, a giant yeah. beast, she'll yeah. have her own enclosure. Uh, yeah. But right now she's in with some, um, broad bandits that i have okay. uh, but no and they'll do this they don't do the thing they do as babies in my experience as adults uh they totally will hit the the food dish and they're like all over the place but um if two grab a prey item it's immediate spinning right you know uh, right and so i you, i so watch you... everything so i don't ever like walk out of the room so I make I sure you. that nobody's engulfing anybody's head, but the right. but the babies are dumb when it comes to that. And they totally chew on each other's heads. Like it's, it's right. crazy. So the adult for the adults, do you do the same type of regimen, you know, fish oh. about the size of their head and then, you know, a tray essentially for them to come feed yeah. from. So, so I, yeah, I, I cut up. So if you get like a, a filet of tilapia from Walmart yeah, and, and you thaw it out, there's the two sets of muscle that are on every fish, the, ventral part and the dorsal part and the dorsal part's almost like a steak it's thick so i'll cut down the middle and i just basically cut those into pieces that are shaped like a fish right. um i give them that i give them fuzzies i don't like feeding them adult mice uh mm -hmm. that's just me i i have read and read and read and there are a couple isolated records of rodents being eaten by nerodia but they're very rare wrong place wrong time kind of yeah. thing so, yeah so but i don't mind giving them fuzzies you know, smaller things to get calcium and mm -hmm. other type of protein in them. Um, and then I do a lot of silver sides. I bought a bunch of smelt. So like at Christmas time, 
smelt shows up in our local grocery stores and uh i like literally bought every bag of smelt that i could find <laughs> and the nice thing about smelt is it's gutted but this the bones are in there so you get mm -hmm. the vertebrae and the ribs mm -hmm. and scales which is a different type of protein and then i uh also uh for my big girls i have a couple florida bandits that are big um we have a fish market and i actually go down and buy frog legs mm -hmm. uh these things have been frozen for literally months so any parasites are deader than a doornail and um when you get the frog legs you can just basically cut them in half and have a leg and a leg and for my really big females they get frog legs and i just give them all that and they right. will it's funny because sometimes though everything's gone and then the next week they get picky uh, they do not refuse tilapia in my experience. That seems to be like the fish mm. they'll eat. Oh, catfish nuggets, whatever the hell a catfish nugget is. You go to the <laughs> grocery store and you can find those. Um, catfish is another fish that's that you don't worry about the thymonase. But I'm giving them like a lot of variety. Mm. But but I I've treated mine. I've gotten the parasites out, not so much for them. But I don't want them defecating and then finding out that these really obscure South American colubroids that I've spent forever trying to get are super susceptible right. to right. the parasites that are in the rodeo. So that was the real reason why they, they treated it. Mm. And when I treated them, they I mean, I, I saw roundworms and things like that get past, but they appeared to weather it fine. Mm. Um, but no. And then what's been it, what was really interesting is as fall started to like come into winter here. They naturally went off food, which was kind of cool because they are they pound food during the summertime. Uh, right. Like I said, I could put that target up and they're like, boom, right there at the glass. Right. Uh, so. So what no. what type of fish do you worry about with the, the thymonase? You worry about anything that's a minnow. And a lot of people don't know, like, what constitutes a minnow. So, like, goldfish are minnows. Okay. The family Cyprinidae. Yeah. Um, carp. Are just glorified well goldfish are just glorified carp so if you like right I, I i saw once where somebody went out and they caught a carp and they chopped it all up and that's what they were feeding well you're like you're giving them the wrong wrong fish right um so i stay away from those and then a lot of the fish that you can buy at petco uh those things are raised outside in places like florida there's parasites in them <laughs> yeah. So you're basically, yeah, you're feeding them a, a prey item, but we're like literally dosing our right our snakes with with parasites, and we don't want to do that. So, so you do you think I would be okay yeah. like catching fish and freezing <laughs> them for several days? Sure. Like, is that a like? It's not if not. I've never live, obviously, but frozen for several days. Yeah, you think I would you're be fine. Safe? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the general rule that I've been taught, and it could be longer, uh, but if you keep things like frozen for just like quarantine 30 to 60 days, it's going to wipe things out. You got to understand like a lot of the parasites that we have that live in things that live in an intermediate host, like a frog or a fish, they had to evolve for those animals dying over winter time and freezing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they thaw out, the mink shows up and eats them. The water snake shows up and eats them. And if they can survive the thaw, the freezing point, they're going to get into the intermediate host or the definitive host. Right. So it, it's a long freeze not necessarily gotcha. short freeze i got you okay good to know yeah, yeah. but when i was I, I did one semester in florida for grad school and i immediately was like 
blown away with the way the water snakes looked. And I kept a couple and we had this pond in the middle of our apartment complex. And it was like, I, at times I felt like you could walk across the surface of the damn pond on all the gambusia, which are guppies. Yeah. Gambu- so yeah. I would go out there and you know, look weirder than hell with my butterfly net and bread. And I would throw, like I put the net in the water, put the bread over top of the net, like a hundred guppies that. come there. Boom. Got them. And I, fed my water snakes that way and, and yeah. you know no ill effect but they also came from florida whatever was in those guppies was in them yeah so uh you know i didn't really see a problem with it but. yeah chris montrose swears by the gambusia mostly yep. because they're also an invasive so it, yeah. it, it kind of mm-hmm. it kind of works out i actually have some in my pond as well i, I noticed some yep. gambusia in there so and, and the roadie are good at holding parasites. It's just the only reason why I didn't want the parasite to them is I didn't captive. want them to get yeah. to something else. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I would never want them there at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, sounds like I'm getting tilapia this weekend. Yep. It's cheap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the other thing about Nerodia. They're really cheap to keep. <laughs> and and you, if you can get to a freaking grocery store, you can get the food. You just Actually, have to yeah, good, those those suckers have been eating me out of house and home with pinkies, man. Because I've been feeding them pinkies. You know, I give it, even some of the bigger ones. I just feed chopped up, you know, pinkies. But you know, I'll feed a group of you know three of them, five or six pinkies. You know, all chopped up in the bits, and man, they run me out of them freaking things. I try tilapia with the rhinos. I yeah, you know, I you know. Know. oh yeah. I, I have a lot of things. I had king snakes eating tilapia for crying out loud. No, oh, I don't. Su- that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> Henrietta and Marv might partake in some. I still don't think. I still don't think they they exist. I still don't think they exist. They're real. No, they're not. (laughs) Henrietta went running around the room the other day because I was going to go clean their cage. And then after I'd pulled most of the stuff out, I was like, you know, it's really not even that dirty in here. And then I put it all back. And of course, she went and took a big old dump. No, flew off Uh, out of the cage and onto the floor and tried to go in the closet. Nice. I see. Go go ahead. ahead. Are, Are your Aki's biters? They haven't yet. Okay. So I got a funny Aki story. We we got Aki's here. When we were initially getting the animals for um Zusai, I was like, we are getting a giant ass monitor and we are getting a tiny monitor. And this is <laughs> happening. So I went and bought a water monitor and then we got the Aki's. And I, I got a trio initially. And I got them out of the bag. I'm handling them. I was like, oh my God, these are awesome. Like I never interacted with an Odatrio before. Uh, and I got this female out and she's like sitting on my hand and I'm like, yeah, I'm living my 19 year old dream. <laughs> and she just like slowly put her hand down to the last knuckle of my pinky and freaking latched on and started spinning like a, like, like a crocodile. Oh, uh, I'm hearing like popping in my finger, like the, the <laughs> actual like bite didn't hurt. It was the spinning. Yeah. I was not prepared for the spinning <laughs> Oh my and God. Then I couldn't get her off my finger. Uh, and ever since then, I look at Aki's and I'm like, devils. Screw yeah, see, that's 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 how, that's I, how feel I feel. About that's how I feel about rosy mm-hmm. boas. <laughs> I hate rosy boas, man. I had a rosy boa as a kid that was a real prick too. Mm-hmm. Hey, they're they're that was the first and last rosy boa. They're I ever dumb. Had. They're dumb snakes. I'm I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but they, the, the Aki's don't seem to. I mean, they even if I get close to them in the cage or something, they don't. They and when they do somehow come out and accidentally end up outside the cage you know and if i grab by the tail and stuff of course they just kind of thrash around and stuff but none of them have neither of them have tried to try to bite me so yeah 
I was gonna say, I'm. Uh, I see all these people, you know, feeding their, having their monitors come out onto their legs or their yeah, their arms nice. and stuff, feeding them. I, I, I said, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna train my uh, my cave geckos to do that. And then I feel bad. Yeah, I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna have them run up on my hand and eat their. When eat I have to grab Henrietta and put her back in, I'm like, I've just broken all the trust that, yes. the little <laughs> trust that I've I've actually built up. Marv's pretty cool. Marv's like whatever. Mm-hmm. He's all right, but Henrietta, she, nah. She don't want nothing yeah. to do with me. It's probably because you gave her the name Henrietta. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'd hate you too. At least my mom didn't name me Jake. Ugh. My mom named me Jacob. Thank you. <laughs> so there's that. What's up with these uh these Lyophis, man? Oh, those oh, are so I, cool, man. Yeah, yeah, I just I was showing Jake those and he's like, dude, these are sweet. Okay, you yeah. weren't showing me them. I looked them yeah, up. Yeah, he looked them up. <laughs> he didn't so, show me shit. I tried to spell it with a Y instead of an I, so I can't really do that. They yeah. are, I don't know how they aren't established in, in our discipline slash hobby. Um, you, so the, 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 the species that we have here in America, there's way more of these things in Europe. Um, but we have one, used to be Lyophis. It's, it's a horrible Latin name, Pacilio gyrus. Uh, and then there's like all these subspecies. So the subspecies we have is Caseus. They come from Paraguay. Uh, the common name in herpetoculture is yellow-bellied Lyophis because there was a study done in 2009 that showed that they shouldn't be in the genus Lyophis. They should actually be in this genus called Eurythrolampris. Yes, there they are. And uh, what was crazy about that is fun little bit of herpetology. Eurythrolampris were called the false coral snakes. And there was like eight or nine of them. Lyophis was this taxonomic dumping ground in South America, and there's over 30 of them. And when they did the study due to name priority, Lyophis was sunk. Erythrolampris was where all these guys went, and this genus went from having like eight snakes in it to close to 40 all at once. Uh, but they are basically South American garter snakes. That You, you keep them like garter snakes. Uh, they eat all the things that garter snakes eat. They grow like garter snakes. But they're just insanely cool. They're more aquatic than garter snakes. They mm-hmm. they fill a niche in nature that's very similar the 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 yellow bellies to our Nerodia, which is part of the reason why I like them so much. Right. But one of the absolutely insane things about them is um they are according to legend really easy to breed. Um, Yasser with Spitfire reptiles is the only person I've been able to find in the country who has a pair. Uh, of them and, and i'm certain other people do but i've been looking for males i have four females right now and i don't have any males but what's nuts about this species of snake is that if you get a male and you get in a, fe- a female and they reproduce they will like 35 to 40 days later drop six to nine eggs okay mm-hmm. and then 30 days later they'll drop six to nine eggs and then 30 days later, they will drop six to nine eggs. Jeez. And in a year, they can lay up to 90 eggs. Good God. And 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 they 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 retain sperm, which is very common with dipsatid snakes, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have adult females just waiting to go. And I finally found somebody who claims they have a pair. I bought those. I will believe that I have a pair when I get them and sex them. Um but I know Yasser has a pair because he's up to like, I don't, I think he's over 30 of 30 young now. Jeez. And I told him like, I just, I want a reverse trio. So this is one of the snakes that I'm going to kind of specialize on. I also have another species, which is really cool. 
Um, it is uh, Erythrolamphus typhus or Laophis typhus. They're called green velvet swamp snakes. And they're just beautiful animals. They're, they're bright, bright, bright green with these like purple, yellow undertones to them. Um, I've, I've actually been able to get plenty of males and females with them, but they're imported. And the problem with them is they don't come in in good shape. So you have right. to like really work with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I've, I've had more die than live, but I've decided like, this is going to be the snake that I try to work with. Uh, but uh, they're easy to keep. You keep them the exact way that you keep garter snakes. So um, you can keep them in exos with, so that, that's ex- that one eating See, off the tray is exactly what mine looked like. So, dude, I, I straight need lights. Those. those are so freaking this is cool. cool. Yeah, but this genus is crazy. In fact, yeah, before you guys came on, I was getting pictures out the wazoo because one of the goals with my book was I was like, all right, I'm gonna make I'm gonna give these guys some love. So, like, everybody knows about Baron's Racers and Musaranos and Trihogs and um, Gygus, the falsies, but like people know these exist but i don't think they understand how awesome they are and in europe they're kicking our ass because these guys have been kept in europe for years uh they're super easy they're small so you give like like these animals max out at about this big that's it so how, how big or just doesn't have you on the screen oh sorry um somewhere in the neighborhood of like 12 to 14 inches okay oh wow that's very small yeah so you you get a two or three foot exo 40 gallon exo that's plenty big enough yeah and they they thrive in a naturalistic cage they come out to you i, I have mine currently in a rack well i've used many strategies but they're in a a rack right now and i open the tubs and they come right out just like nerodier garter snakes waiting to be fed so i'm hoping that i get males uh and i can actually breed the damn things um but no they're 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 they just produce a lot of snakes mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that people know that tricolor hogs do that. And and if you get into tri hogs, that's kind of one thing where they're well known for, but these animals take it to a whole other level. Boy, what tri hogs, tri hogs yeah. have caught oh. my attention more and more lately. Look at yeah. That. That's because you've been talking to Roy so much. Yeah. That's part of the problem. It is. Mm-hmm. Roy's a Roy's a great bad influence. Roy's one yep. of my favorite people, man. Roy's he's awesome. he's so freaking cool. I love that dude. I really really enjoy talking to him. He's helped <laughs> me out with this uh, cage that I got coming for that rat snake. He helped me uh, pick out some lights and uh, picked his brain quite a bit. And he was more than happy to answer all my questions. <laughs> no, <sighs> love them to death. Yeah, no, those are super neat, man. Justin brought them up, and I was like, let me look these things up. And I found yeah. a picture that you had, and I was like, no way. I Googled <laughs> it. I was like, oh, man, these are awesome. Yeah. Those are They're also those this kind of crazy, like, gunmetal blue, gray, black, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, but, no, they're they're great. They, uh, they are a little bit hot. I guess we should talk about that. Um, they, they have a Duvernoy's or Venom that they it's all good they have to chew produce they gotta <laughs> chew when you look at them like straight down on top what's really cool is like they've got that almost boiga look to them where you get behind the eyes and things start swelling out a little bit um and there there have been some not necessarily medically significant bites but there's definitely been bites that lead to swelling um mine all of mine have shown no 
predilection to biting. The ty the typhlus actually do something really cool. The green, the velvet green swamp snakes, mm -hmm. when they get scared, they actually will make a really tight coil and they put their head at the bottom of it. And if you like make a hognose snake do the death feigning thing, you like flip them upside down and then they they are on their back. Over. They're on their yeah. back. You put them right and they flip back. Flip back over. Yeah. The, the typhlus, if you try to like pull their head out, they immediately coil back up again and and hide it. So, you know, they're not even trying to bite. But the problem with the typhlus is, you know, you, you got to get them from places you don't necessarily want to buy snakes from. That's all I'm going to say on that yeah. one because they're in, they're importers <laughs> and they come in with the, cause they're frog eaters. They have these like insane parasite loads. So mm. you got the stress of importation. You got to rehydrate them cause they're, they live in a very aquatic environment. Mm -hmm. And then you got to get this thing that's eaten frogs his entire life over to a mouse uh, but in my experience, they assist feed better than any snake I've ever worked with. So I just mm. pop their mouths open, put the pinky in there and then put them down. And the next thing you know, they slurp it right down. So, um, I just haven't nice. figured out when to hit them with the, with the meds. And that's, that's, gotcha. I think once I figure that out, I might be able to get them to, to, to last longer. I've had a couple mm. now for about 10 months. I'm not even close to contemplating putting males and females together. I'm just trying to get them to live. Right. So. The so, second so with, the second edition of Venomous Bites from Non-Venomous Snakes comes out in March, and I'm very excited about it. Nice. I did not know that. Yes. It's on pre-order right now. I will be buying that the second 125 bucks. Yep. Um, one of my favorite bu books ever. Agreed. So on the um on the subject of those water snakes you said being, you know, a little a little hot, you know, um yeah. the Lyophis, what's your take on garter snakes being <laughs> similar because i actually a, a buddy of mine who's a herpetologist um i've caught a lot of snakes with him i tracked diamondbacks with him here in south carolina which was awesome um but he developed a weird allergy to garter snake bites like he would swell and get a little bit of a rash now the swelling wasn't extreme but the rash was a little bit more like he would he, he would get visibly itchy when he when if he got bit by a a um a garter snake or something like that they're definitely there's things going on there yeah so <laughs> i've always thought that but everybody um, says i'm full shit so well the, the problem is that we're we're saying they're not producing a peptide in their saliva mm -hmm. because when we get bit Rarely anything happens, but that right. doesn't mean when they bite a salamander or they bite a frog, which is their preferred prey, that nothing's going on. So right. Thamnophis has been studied biochemically to look at what's in their spit. Mm -hmm. They definitely have Duvernoy's secretions going on. Um, a couple of the Western subspecies slash species of garter snakes absolutely do cause reactions when they bite people. Mm -hmm. I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of the damn species it is uh that's out there but there's one that's like literally considered to be not medically significant i'm not saying that but like it's well known that enough people have gotten bitten by them that hands swell up uh mm -hmm. you, you can get lymphat uh, um like real localized edema, edema you can get bruising mm -hmm. so there's definitely there's definitely something going on yeah that was an interesting part of that that first edition of the venomous yes. non-venomous snakes that was they had a whole section that talks about that and sort of the consensus that I remember from reading, I need to read the whole thing again, actually, um, was that it was like, yes, there is something going on, but at the same time, no, there's not. 
Yeah. Right. It was kind of this weird middle ground where they're like, if you wanted to say that they were, you know, they were producing a toxin, you could, but it's a bit of a stretch was kind right. of where it seemed to land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that book's awesome because it goes through a bunch of different uh, rear fang stuff and talks about sort of cases with bites and stuff like that. And, goes into detail. I mean, some of it does get a little technical in terms of like medical terminology and stuff like that, but that's why we have Google. I actually learned a lot <laughs> from that because I was Googling these things as I was reading it. Like, what the hell is that? And um, yeah, they had a whole section that talked about Damnophis and, and garters and stuff like that. So nice. yeah, no, I'm very and, anxious for the second edition. <clears throat> and I know that there have been species where there's this like arms race between it's out West there's a salamander or a newt or something. The newt produces toxins, which mm-hmm. are to keep the garter from eating it. The garter then evolves the ability with its adrenal glands and its kidneys to render those toxins moot. But in the mm-hmm. process, it's like gaining the toxins and then you get right. bit by those. You end up having a better reaction. Like, there's this crazy interrelationship there. But there's mm-hmm. definitely, definitely something going on there. Right. And it's, also, was- a, it's also a person-by-person thing. You yeah. Know? Like, my... Well, it's all about exposure to it. One and you know, two. Everybody reacts differently to everything. Not everybody's allergic to bees, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's completely possible that one person could have a worse reaction to a garter snake bite than you know your average person. No, totally. But, and and like on this subject, so one of the things with the Dipsadded book is that each species account, each chapter, I have a like venom slash Duvernoy secretion section, and I talk about what they produce, the impact to humans, mm-hmm. bite histories, if I could find them, like the biochemistry, the whole nine yards of doing that. Well, I'm also about to start writing on the hognose snake book mm-hmm. and I'm bumping into hognose snake literature and, you know, everybody's favorite snake to like boop the snoot on. Those freaking things can produce some pretty gnarly reactions in people. Dude, like, I, I had a pretty... I had a decent reaction to a Western hog nose. Like it made mm-hmm. it latched onto my ring finger on my left hand, and it my it wasn't my whole hand, but my finger, my entire finger swelled up and turned purple. Yeah, it no, was, it was I've, not I've pleasant. Seen, it hurt. <laughs> I've I've read a couple journal articles where it's the bite histories of Nasicus bites, which is the plains or Western hog, mm-hmm. and people are like, you know, people literally think these are derpy harmless animals and i'm not saying they're black mambas but at the same time the bites of those things are on par with some of these south american snakes that i'm i'm looking up and people have ended up in hospitals people have ended up having to get things lanced and and like drained from Mm you know a nascus bite so uh, when when it comes to those colubroid colubrid things i think that they are every bit as interesting yeah from a venomous perspective if not a little bit more because we don't perceive them to be venomous but you know they definitely evolved this for a reason and some of them Mm -hmm. evolved it for defense and some of them evolved it for like tackling prey and Mm -hmm. and and we don't know what the hell is going to happen when we get um get bit there's a snake in uh costa rica in mexico it's in the genus conophis it's um it's a dips added it uh it's called a road garter and they are in captivity. I actually last month saw somebody like put one up in a Facebook group. I was like, holy shit, people keep those things. Um, <laughs> and the thing that's crazy about their bite is when you get bit by these guys, you you don't 
Like you are going to live. It it swells up a little bit, but it just hurts like absolute hell. And and people have compared them to like viper bites and bothrops bites, Jeez. but there's no necrosis. There's no like manifestation of the bite that's really bad. Their venom evolved to just make you hurt like hell, so you don't pick them up. Right. Like healers. You know? Yeah. And so it's it's a really really cool system, and you get that in these colubrids mm -hmm. you don't really get that in fixed fang snakes because they got the right. fangs and they're there you know it's a prey acquisition um modality but that, right. that's why i think the opistoglyphs are just like freaking phenomenal yeah like, i, I yeah. find them way more interesting that book you know that i that i mentioned the first edition if you can get yeah. your hands on it it's phenomenal i mean i learned a lot uh you know that that rear fanged is a very loose term yes um that there's more contributing factors than just the venom itself. You know, there's the dentition, there's the actual Duvernoy's glands themselves because they're not all created equal. Mm -mm. Um, I don't know. See, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if I may have asked you this the first time we had you on, but like the way that I interpreted sort of the Duvernoy, Duvernoy's uh, in, in rear fang stuff, as opposed to like your traditional selenoglyphs um, mm -hmm. was that it was almost like instead of, sort of the balloon with the needle attached to it, like you get with like rattlesnakes and stuff with the, with the rear fang stuff. It was more of like a sponge when you squeeze it and it's sort of running down. Yeah. Like, a yeah. Well, well, the neat thing is, and they talk about this in that book is that like, and you, you hit the nail on the head. It's really almost disingenuous to say that every, like to refer to it as the Duvernoy's gland, because that yeah. implies that they're all the same. Like when I talk about a pancreas, uh, I'm stuck on pancreases tonight, but the pancreas <laughs> in one snake is is pretty much the same as the pancreas in another snake. Right. Mm -hmm. When you look at the Duvernoy's glands histology and it's actually it's it's physical it's anatomy, you know, things like Phyllodryas, which are your Barons racers, mm -hmm. and you know they have lumens in there. Like there's literally various lobes to that um, Duvernoy's structure that are producing different amounts of secretions. And that there's some evidence that they could, could potentially control the amount of fluid that's coming out, which is what a viper's doing mm -hmm. or an alapid's doing. And then you got other things like false water cobras, where it's it's the sponge, mm -hmm. um, and it really has to like really chew on you to get a lot of that that fluid out of that gland and in, in, yeah. into your hand. So it's it, you're right; it's not the same. And these opistoglyphist snakes. They're like completely unrelated. So one of the reasons why with our podcast, I decided to like differentiate and make it colubrid and colubroid is like people always talk about Madagascar hognose snakes and they find out I'm writing a book about hognose snakes and they'll be like, oh, are they in there? Assuming that they're related. They are not related at all. It's convergent evolution. They're a Lamprophead, which is the African colub or rear fanged Lubroids, mm -hmm. they're more closely related to a freaking cobra than they are to a hognose snake. Right. And and so there's no way that the, the Duvernoy's gland in that animal is the same as what's going on in a dipsatid over here. Yeah. Uh, it's totally different evolutionary lineage. So it's in the, you know, so that's also why I think the opistoglyphs are crazy because like alapids with their fixed fangs evolved once. Um and uh, they diverge, but you have that origin point. The vipers evolved with the solenoglyphs, the movable flangs, once. 
this epistoglyphous condition with a Duvernoy's gland has evolved all kinds of times across the snake tree of life. And, Which and is, it's just is crazy ironic. to think about. Yeah, yeah. it's ironic because it's so much clunkier compared yeah. to, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, everything with fixed fangs or, or you know, the, the pit vipers and vipers and stuff. It's, yep. it's, but just, like, it's so funny. It's like that's that's more evolved than the other ones. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's and, and Boyega it's is the 98 the, Camry of like, yeah, exactly. Venom glands and delivery systems. <laughs> Everyone else has mm -hmm. Ferraris and. <laughs> yeah, the, the vipers are a Porsche. Yeah. And these are like a Toyota Cavalier. Like that's what, what they got to, got to work with here. That was my first car. Uh huh. <laughs> that was mine in grad school too. So, uh, um, but anyway, but like Boiga, one lineage. Mm -hmm. That's the Kalu Brines. Then you've got uh, Mad Hogs, different lineage. Then you got the Dipsad. It's different lineage, but it it's showed up like multiple times, mm -hmm. which is I love that stuff. Like yeah, that, that, that will never get boring to me. Especially phylogenetic trees and stuff. There mm -hmm. was that that recent Boiga. Uh, I say recent, it's been within like the last two years, but yep. someone did, you know, a phylogenetic tree of all the boy and It was really cool to see all the uh, relationships. And yeah. Such. Yeah. I love boy Yeah. So I, I just put mine together. Did you? Mm -hmm. I thought about putting mine together before they went to Terry, but I decided with all the other stuff I'm going to have pairing up, I should probably save myself the space and headache yeah. and uh, just hold off. So old girl loves her some quail eggs though. Yes, man. She I put four in there. They're gone in minutes, man. Before before this episode, I was I was thinking about because I've always I for years now, I have had a a very big liking for what false water cobras. I've always I've always <laughs> liked them. And even before this, I was looking at I was like, man, I wonder if I should hit Zach about these false water cobras. And now after talking to you, I'm like, fuck. Falsies are a whole <laughs> different bag. They are. the <laughs> They're the one snake that I will say if you're going to keep them right. Um, I I know one person who keeps them in a rack system, and I'm uh, the way that they are taken care of in that rack. Mm -hmm. Okay, but like for me, space, 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 space. Yeah. Um, and the problem is they get gigantic. So right, we have womas here. The the false water cobras are bigger than the womas. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, I believe, yeah. I believe Jeez, it. How, how big of an enclosure do you keep your adult fall season? I minimum is six foot deep, but if it's only six foot long, I'm going to make it like three feet deep. Right. I wouldn't keep them in a six by two. Right. At my house where I have them, um, I had custom cages built and those are eight foot long, Wow, three foot deep and two foot tall. And they use every bit of it. And then I incorporate into all my adults, um, all of them at least once in the in the summertime it's at least once or twice a week wintertime it's like once every two weeks because i brewmate mine and mm -hmm. they definitely their activity levels go down mm -hmm. but i let them just cruise a room for like half a day you said cruise the room yeah they literally really? they're so damn big they can't hide so they're <laughs> so like going just there. going all over so in my office here my really? overs are right there like the big enclosures yeah and um they just I open the door on one and they come out uh, and, and they're like dogs. They're fantastic. Uh, they, they move around sucks when they crap behind the bookcase. Yeah. Which they'll do. Um, that's so, you know, that's, that is that's, so that's, cool though. I've but, never, but they're I've never out moving that. and that's how I give them, uh, you know, enrichment. But I, I definitely right. think that's something that they need. 
The other reason why I don't like keeping them in, in a rack setup at all is that they crap a lot. Like everybody talks about dry marking, indigos and crebos, and they're, they're crapping everywhere. It's like a paste. Uh, when you talk to people that have kept both, and I've kept both, I personally feel like if a, if you're feeding them right and you're doing this the right way, uh, Hydrodynasties will crap a, a, a dry market under the table any day of the week. They just, no way. Yeah, and and theirs is like, it looks like a toddler creeped into the cage <laughs> and dropped a deuce. Like, it is not a small amount of shit. <laughs> So anyway, you got this giant pile of crap. So you like got to incorporate all that. But if you're willing right. to deal with that, like I said, I like snakes that move. I like snakes that use the habitat right. I give them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I... they're they're endearing. But people that keep falsies, I've noticed that they quickly become their favorite. Um, yeah, because they are so damn inquisitive. Like, yeah, they're they're crazy, and they are without question my favorite snake. I can answer the question. Like, if somebody came to me and said. You only keep one species of reptile. False water cobra is what I'm keeping. Like, yeah, it's, I'm done. Yeah. Um, I can't think about them without so, thinking of that video of Nigel Marvin just letting yeah. me chew on him for like, oh my God, oh, 30 God. seconds. I learned so much from that video. Like, what? <laughs> I have and a very hard time. Up. Yeah, I have a very hard time <laughs> believing that an adult, like a big adult, is not a medically significant animal. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. I I... And, and I, I don't like. And you knowing know. how food crazy they get. Yeah. Oh, like I've had some. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. that's And that's the only, problems. and that's the thing that, cause like, that's, that's my biggest debate right now is cause like, I, like I said, I have loved false water cobra since I was, you know, a, young, a young small. kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought, I've thought, I always thought they were just incredible animals, but like, that's the thing that, you know, it kind of intimidates me about them now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, as babies, it's one thing being crazy about food. But a seven foot adult well, flying out of a cage at you for a rodent like that's I can especially speak to them that. being rear fanged, you know, that's the, the thing that's so I have a lot of them now because yeah. the only reason why I have a lot of them is that I have a school, <laughs> right? I have a science building and I have built in enclosures and I, I have an office. Um and so you know, here at the university, they are the advanced snake that we train the students to work with. You have to be a senior. You don't work with these things until you're kind of late in the game. Mm -hmm. We're wearing gloves, like the whole kit and caboodle. Um, mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is that, and I've kept a lot of them now, and I, I've kept them for, since 2016. That's when I got my first animals. That's right. Uh, is that they do seem to grow to two different sizes. There's like enormous and then there's this other size where they kind of stop growing at about five and a half to six foot mm -hmm. and in that those dimensions they're kind of like a gigantic king snake in right but if they get beyond six they don't stop at like six and a half that's when they jump up to seven and a half eight and when they get above that six and a half to seven foot range that's when you get the girth right. and when that comes on that's when they're like insanely impressive snakes and they're yeah. in the top five for biggest colubrid and colubroids on planet earth by mass so like we got that whole thing like anaconda is the heaviest snake and right ticks are longer Longest, so like yeah. things like dry market and and um spoloides uh sulfurus gets longer mm -hmm. uh but like my big adult breeder females i've seen big sulfurus and i've seen you know my my large falsies and my large falsies are just up a bunch bigger broody like they're just brutish 
Right. And that's another thing. I like animals that are like that. I don't like dainty. I love, I so, love big colubrids. You know, I mm-hmm. want, I want another big colubrid and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what it's, what it's going to be. Cause point. I've always had, I've, yeah, shut up. I've always had the, my, my, probably my two favorites are falsies and Chinese king rats. Yeah. I used to have, I used to have Chinese Kings. I, I absolutely love them. They're on my radar again, but falsies have always been one that's, you know, I haven't, I've never, never attempted, but. Definitely, no. definitely I, interesting. They're they're fun to keep um, because they're they're known for their feeding response. One thing that I've noticed in keeping a lot of false water cobras, like in this office right now, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight of them in here. Mm-hmm. So like I've I've got the it's the one snake I can say that I've kept a large number of individuals. And one thing they do that drives you crazy as a keeper is they'll just like have this frenetic, insane psychotic feeding response week after week after week after week after week and then you're like you're ready for it and you open the cage and it's just like yeah no I'm not doing that today yeah <laughs> and then you're like okay and then you put the food in there and then they don't eat for like a month or two and it drives you crazy and then suddenly you're, you're like you, you put the food in and you're all relaxed and you're like you dumbass you're not gonna eat today either and then you open the door and then boom it's on you and yeah. it's just like the switch gets turned back on. And I've been trying right. to figure out like, what the hell is the switch? Uh, and some keepers go their entire life and they never have that. And other keepers, like that's all that their experience is. And what I've kind of found out is that they are really, really susceptible to night drops. So, it, and I found this out with govies because um, I was throwing govies in tanks and like I had some that were eating all the time and some that weren't, and they were in the same room. And so I flipped them, their enclosures. And then sure enough, the ones that weren't eating started to eat again. And the ones that were eating like crazy stopped eating. And what I found out was that when they're, if they get a nighttime low that drops below 68 degrees for like two or three weeks, that seems to be a trigger. I don't know if it's a brumation trigger. I don't know what it does. It just seems to shut them down, mm-hmm. that feeding response. But if you hold them at like 70 at night, they'll consistently eat. But mm. They're just fun. One thing I will say, uh, everybody goes nutty over the lavenders, which are the, like, that's the one morph that we have here in, in the United States. They're scaleless now. Yeah. Oh, there's, uh, <laughs> don't, talk, don't talk about it. Don't anyway, talk about it. <laughs> might have vomited in my mouth there. Yeah, um, but uh, the, the, they're pretty. They're cool. I got one. He's right over there. He, of all the water cobras I've kept, he has been the biggest pain in the ass. Like, he will not eat. He is. He insists on being four and a half feet long. Um, I but tried males, my first. Is it? Uh, I got a male. Do um, males tend to go off food more than females? Males will go off food, but uh, they seem to always come back on. Okay. And he's a mouser. He's the only uh, false water cobra I've had. And when I say mouser, falsies are well known for eating everything. It only eats mice. It won't eat tilapia. It won't eat chicken. It won't eat quail. Frog legs. Wow. Chicken legs. Trout. So it's, a, it's a jungle carpet. Yeah. And and I've <laughs> and I've tried I've I've talked to a couple other people I know that have the laves. And it's funny because there's a couple people that are like, no, they're great, they're fantastic. And then you talk to everybody else that has them and they'll be like, Yeah, this this thing's it's not the best. And the reason why is they are they all came from one clutch of eggs. So they oh. are the most inbred thing you're ever gonna see. So oh, good God. One of the things I love about falsies is there's like two kind of camps amongst falsy keepers. And there's the people that are like chasing the morphs, but they're definitely the minority. The vast majority of false water keep 
keepers just want a giant, massive, crazy ass snake. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of outcrossing and attempts at keeping the genetics diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but no, hmm. I can I, I will never say anything bad about those snakes. What type of, what type of enclosure do you keep babies in? Uh, babies we keep in rack systems. Um, I have them in the reptile basics rack. I don't know the size of the tub. But um, so so babies do okay yeah. in racks. You're, you're, you're you do okay to a point. You're referring to a big, larger animals not doing well. well when in... I say babies, I mean for like the first six months because they grow gotcha. like weeds. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. I took a false water cobra from a fresh out of an egg. They're big babies. To five and a half feet in eleven months. Holy so like... <laughs> what? Yeah, and that oh was not our feeding. Um, and and they eat twice a week, but they eat small meals twice a week. So that's mm. like the way they work. But uh. The problem is you can keep them until they get to be about a foot in length in that rack system, but then they start crapping and like a lot Mm -hmm. and you will never be able to get the ventilation you need in a tub. Mm -hmm. You've got to get them out into a bigger enclosure. My PVC enclosures I have for falsies, I drill extra holes for ventilation. Mm -hmm. I've done the, the whole thing where you like mount computer fans to draw the air across to get it out because they just crap a lot and a downside uh, a definite negative if you keep false water cobras they smell which is yeah. fantastic because i am at work with eight of them in this office so oh, yeah. i have a my office has this reputation of being like really cool but it stinks so people like people really wait. have to want to come in here i'm nose blind to it doesn't bother me <laughs> yeah but um but at home they were stinking up my garage to the point where my wife is an insanely tolerant woman and I love her dearly. And she even was like, can we please get rid of the smell? And the smell showed up when I decided to have false water covers at home. So, yeah, you know, you're always dealing with that with them. So you have to know that if you're keeping one or a pair, it's one thing when you've got like multiples, it's yeah. a whole different ballgame. Okay, that's all I would want is one or a pair. And I already deal with colubrids. So my room always stinks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the govies. We can do that, I guess, before we we finish it up. But sure, you know, you've been using those a lot. Yeah. How are you using multiples per cage when oh. you're checking them? Are you like exporting that information as a CS, uh, you know, as a spreadsheet file? Like, what are you what are you sort of looking for the most when it comes to to those yeah. things and how you're using them? The govies changed my life. <laughs> I'm about like, to buy a handful of them because yeah, I want more. I, I feel like I found the light when I found Govies. My ability to be a good herb keeper went through the freaking roof because a lot of people use a temp gun. So, like, you, you, you feel like you're doing something. You open the tub, you temp gun it, you get that, like, immediate response. But what you are not getting is what's called the dial temperature. And dial means 24-hour period of temperature. Like, unless you get up and temp gun something every 10 freaking minutes, you aren't really going to understand the thermal profile of your enclosure. So when I found out that they existed, because I'm kind of in the dark ages when it comes to technology, but when I was like, oh my God, they make these things that send data to my phone. And they're cheap. Um, and they're dirt ass cheap. I bought I bought one that was really fancy. That Oh, one I, of the bigger models? Yeah, that yeah. you connected to um, the Wi-Fi in your house and you could basically get a permanent feed of information. That was the first one I bought. And when I realized that when I put that in the cage and I initially bought them for what I just talked about, I wanted to figure out like what the hell is going on with these water cobras mm-hmm. temperatures. Uh, 
Then I found the cheaper model, and I don't know the model names. I'm talking about the one that's like an inch by an inch by an yep, inch, and you can buy like uh, a three or a four pack. Yeah, they're yep. like 15 bucks a piece. Yes, I bought like six of them <laughs> right off the bat, mm-hmm. and they're super easy to, to get hooked up to your phone, or uh, I don't know if you can get them onto a laptop or not, but I just hooked them up to my phone because you can get an app. Um, and what they do is they don't just log temperature, they log humidity. So you get two for the price of one. And uh, you can get these things. And what's awesome is that if you buy two, you can set one up at the bottom of your cage and you can set another one up at the top of your cage. Or if you have a heat panel or belly heat, you can put one an inch or two above the substrate where the heat is and another one an inch or two above the, the substrate where there they are, where the heat is not. And then it logs the temperature like once every two or three minutes, five minutes. And mm-hmm. then you get graphs that are like, science worthy graphs like i buy these things called tidbits that cost way more money to do this out in the field and the data interface for the govies is better than the damn tidbits really oh my god (laughs) like i'm literally was talking to the grad students i was like okay we're gonna try to figure out a way to deploy these govies and then we'll go out there and you know but then i realized they got to get connected to wi-fi and that's where the problem lies yeah but anyway but what's what's awesome about them is that you can set temperature alarms in them, mm-hmm. um, and I, it won't necessarily talk to your phone. There might be one, but there you go. And so, like for brumation right now, I have my alarm set at fifty-seven and fifty-seven degrees, and at forty-seven degrees. And as long as I'm in that window, when I download the data, it'll show me blue. But they are but, great for cigars you know, as well. There you go. I was wondering for your humidor. So, so I've used them to figure out what's going on with a night drop. Um, I use them to dial in my enclosures for the Marilio that I'm trying to breed in the garage because I knew like what the profile was that you're supposed to, to shoot for. I've used them in brumation. So uh, I have that corner. I've got them all over that corner because that corner can get into the 30s, believe it or not, in my mm-hmm. garage. So uh, and I check it in the morning when I before I go to work, I check it and then I check it right as soon as I get home from work and then I check it right before I go to bed. And I'm kind of able to see. So, like, I knew based off the Gobies that that corner, will, like, when we get into the single digits, it's going to be too cold for the snakes. So, right, I have it. And then I totally I mean, even the, have exported even, it. Yeah, even the bigger model that you got is still only you know, less than 40 bucks. Yeah. But I, they're awesome. I mean, the app is really easy to use. It's nice because you can change it to hourly, to daily, to weekly, to oh, monthly. Yeah. Uh, you can export. There's a button right at the bottom of every chart of it. Like you can put in multiple units and you just name them on the phone. And I usually yep. mark them with a Sharpie or something. So I know who's who. Uh, yep, and then that. you can, you just export that data to a, a CSV file. And, but it's, it's nuts because it's you so can, easy. you really get an idea for the thermal profile of your enclosures, which yeah. is a critical part to reptile keeping. And like, I thought I knew what was going on. Um, I was, I was, uh, I was actually playing around, just goofing around with them over the summer. And I was playing with my herb stats and seeing if like the ramping was actually causing a temperature change. Right. And I was ramping for like two hours. And what I found out over the summertime is that it didn't matter. I was not getting a night drop or anything. It wasn't long enough. So then, but I would never have known that if I didn't have the damn Govi because mm-hmm. the Govi takes something you cannot see and makes it so you can see it. So worked out great 
I kept no. one of my incubator too on top of my egg box yes. just to make sure that my incubator was where it needed to be. At one point I had it in an egg box and it lasted about a month and then it crapped out because I guess the humidity was too high. I mean, it is yeah. like yeah. that that chip inside is exposed to the open air and stuff. So, you know, for high humidity stuff like that, keeping it in there long term probably won't, no, the won't moist, work out. The moisture will get to yeah. it eventually. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, the battery seems to last forever. Yeah. Um no, like I, said, I got them all over the free, place. Yeah, you could buy a ton well, of them for nothing. Here, here at the college, when I found out how awesome they were, and we have all these animals, and this building is a nightmare to have reptiles and amphibians in. Uh, it's got some crazy climactic juju going on. Like, we'll fill a, a water bowl, and two days later, it's empty from dehydration, and we don't know what the hell's going on. So wow. I literally bought 30 of them. I went nuts, <laughs> and we just put them all over the the place mm -hmm. to just get temperature profiles to uh, like know the rooms because i know my setups at my house and i know my office here at work because i'm in them all the time but i'm also in charge of those other rooms mm -hmm. and so it was really kind of cool to finally get an idea what the hell was going on with not only temperature but humidity yep right um so and yeah. you have all all 30 of those on the app like connected um well or did, they're was kind of spread out across many phones oh, okay I don't know if the animal we, we have somebody who kind of functions as an assistant curator of our collection. I'm the curator mm -hmm. and she's the person who does the husbandry. I don't know if she put them all under her phone or not. I have like 10 of them. And then I think I have eight from home. So I think I've got 18 on there. Okay. Yeah. I just put so. mine, my, I've my, my one functional one. I put it in the, the Jansen I cage today. Cause since I got the eggs, Yes. I want to be able to at some point write an article for the website so that other people can can take what I what I've done and somehow manage to pull off and sort of replicate that. So I'm going to keep one of those in there long term, but I definitely want to get more because I want one on one end and one on the other. Yeah. Um, I you know, I turn off all my lights and stuff at night. I think my my hatching racks, the only one that stays on. Um, so there is a night drop and I have it in there now so I can wake up in the morning and see sort of how much it dropped. Um, no, you know, I, I, very, so simple and so valuable. I use mine, um, to figure So I had all my PVCs at home and I, when I initially bought them all way back when I got, uh, heat panels and that was how I was heating them. Mm -hmm. And I got heat panels that were way too big cause I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, I just felt like I was cooking the damn snakes. I also, when I bought those enclosures, made it so I could put incandescent lights in there with cages around them. So like yep. the screw in lights. And I think it was around this time last year, I decided like, I'm not using the heat panels anymore. <laughs> They're just cooking everything. So I use the heat panels. Owen McIntyre talks about this all the time as a backup. Like they control the low that the cage is going to get to. Right. But they don't really contribute at all towards the heat. With Govies, I was able to put them strategically in an enclosure. And then I went to Lowe's. And Lowe's sells these awesome halogen lights that are like the exact same concept as a um, heat lamp from Petco. Mm -hmm. Only they cost like $4.75 for two. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And they come in boxes. If there's a green one, there's a yellow one, there's a blue one, there's and an they orange don't, one. They don't burn out in a week? No, they burn out in about three to four months. They do start to lose temperature. Found that out with the Govies, but I was able to, I just bought one of each and I had a tank that, or a PVC enclosure that didn't have any animals in it. And so I used that and I dialed in with the lights 
when to turn the lights on, when to turn the lights off so that I could get it up to about 84 at the peak of the day and then have it drop down to like 75. But I was able to do all that because I had the Govies. So, you know, you can do a lot with the Govies. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is when I went to the lights, the snakes, you know, they basked. They started moving more. I got really natural behaviors back, which was kind of cool. Um, and yeah, I was I, able to keep the damn humidity where I wanted it to be in the enclosures versus those freaking heat panels that like made everything like the Sahara. Yeah. So anywho. And I used the incubator actually to to sort of make sure mine was calibrated too, because I had my incubator set at the time, I think like 85-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. And so putting that in there and knowing that that's the temperature that it's supposed to be at. Yeah. And then, you know, having the Gobi and the app to verify that and stuff. And it seemed pretty dead on. So I definitely want more of them. I need more of them. It seems like one of those things that should be pretty much a staple in just yep. every room. You know, no, I'm on I'm on team Gobi. And there's some other versions. Yeah, there's sensor push, which are a little more expensive. Yes. Um, Andy Middleton uses those a lot. I think those come like you can get a separate sort of router looking thing that you can access Wi-Fi and, and check those, you know, when you're away. Um, I think that's like, they are more expensive and that extra Wi-Fi unit is extra money. But I mean, the Gobies, if something happens to it, you know, you're only out like 15 bucks. So yeah. it's not like they're not replaceable. Um, I mean, at the price that batteries are, it may even be cheaper to just get yeah. a new one rather than replace the batteries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're freaking awesome, man. I've used them in the garage the entire time I've been cool and stuff to be able to check I, I learned that my garage is typically about 10 degrees warmer than whatever it is outside, <laughs> um, which has been nice. handy. So, uh-huh. you know, they no, it's not fantastic. something you would think you would use as much as you do, you know? Yeah. And they're fun because you get to see it all. Oh no, totally. When we put them in our incubator and found out that our incubators were spiking the same hour every night, which was bizarre. Here it was. We have no idea why that juju I was talking about. It's ghost. So we moved them out of that incubator to another one. That was a couple of years ago. But no, I can't say enough good things about them. Yeah. I mean, that's information you wouldn't have known if you didn't mm-hmm. have something like that in there to see it. You know? Yes. Jake needs to get on the, the Gobi train. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Sweet. Well. Two and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Where can, uh, I'm sure everybody already probably knows, but where can everybody find you, Dr. Lofman? Um, so Instagram, that's where I am. The Dr. Crawdad. <laughs> so look that up. Uh, Facebook, just Zach Lofman. Um, and then Matt, most and I have our podcast, Colubrid and Colubroid Radio. Which you should so, check out whether you're into that stuff yes, or not. Because you're going to learn something regardless. Great podcast. Thank you. So those are the options. And then I'm old school. Just do a Google search, Zach Loafman, and you'll find my email. Follow the blue crayfish. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, um, I pulled up, uh, I Googled your name the other day. I was like, yeah, I was talking to somebody. I was like, yeah, I know somebody who uh, has a crayfish (laughs) named Adam. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, deadass. Look, I Google, I Googled you. And I was like, see, look. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. uh, Cool cool. stuff well thank you all this has been fun i enjoyed this yeah yeah i did i did too i'm glad i actually got to uh glad i got to talk to you man it was a lot of fun great episode yes totally fantastic all right this was episode 148 of thp please check out blackboxcages.com facebook instagram 
and check out Steve Snakeshuary also on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we will be back Monday night for Snakes and Stogies. One oh eight, one oh eight. So the usual. Got some other stuff we're gonna be uploading here uh, to the YouTube channel. So if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to it, check us out on YouTube. Got some plans to bring more content to the YouTube yeah. channel. Uh, now that we're not doing the magazine, I have more time to do these sort of things. So yeah, got to fill my time with something. Do it. Um, we'll see everybody later.